Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Sisters of the Leaf, coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys congregate once again via live video to celebrate the Year of the Rat, while smoking, naturally, the delicious Year of the Rat cigar from Drew Estate, paired with a plethora of tasty adult beverages. And as always, there's some film discussion to be had, so the crew will also be talking their way through the 1976 giant rats attack cult classic creature feature, The Food of the Gods. There's certain to be a lot of rat conversation this evening. I sure hope the show doesn't get too cheesy. Dear God, I'm I'm sorry about that. Uh, Sometimes I just find myself chasing my tail trying to pull off these voiceovers. Jeez, again, please forgive me. All rat puns aside, it sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Man. Oh, that's good. Boyd, tonight's film, fellas, features a lot of people bashing animals repeatedly over the head with blunt objects. Yeah, it got me thinking, have you guys ever had any experience with anything like that? No, I don't bash like animals. Uh, this is why you keep me around. Uh, it made me remember. I, dude, I haven't thought of this in a many, many years. One night, my uh, then girlfriend and I were driving a uh, dark, rainy, icy night, really icy roads. Uh, I was driving her back to Texas A&M where she was in college and the roads were just terrible. You're in a pickup truck. It's one of those things where you're just really just trying to stay on the road and see through the windshield at the same time. It was just really bad. We probably shouldn't have been on the roads. Um, and I, all of a sudden about 20 minutes outside of Hearn, this little kind of small town, middle of nowhere, Something, uh, car in front of me hit something. It 
flew back to me and I hit it. Yeah. And it was a big, <clears throat> shook the truck, bounced off, and I immediately pulled over. Just instinctually, I just kind of pulled over because I mean, I it felt like it, like I hit. I was about to say deer or something. So I pull over and I start to get out of the truck. She's like, "What are you doing?" And like, I want to see what we hit. Like, I, I didn't. Could have been a person. I don't. I didn't know what it was. And we're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, like, All right, hurry up. It's freezing. It's horrible out. Sleeting. So I go out there, and right off the side of the road is this mass of fur and teeth. And I, to this day, I don't know if it was just the world's ugliest dog. I think it was a boar of some sort, like a, a wild hog. That's what I was gonna think, maybe. But uh, it was so, it was so after being hit by two trucks, it was so mangled and disfigured, you couldn't really tell what this thing was. Plus, like the weather was dark, but all I could hear was it just <gasps> like just these gasping for air. And I'm standing out there just in the shit weather, and I'm like, fuck. What do you do, Cade? I'm like, fuck it. So I go back to my truck. I open her door, so sleet and rain start pouring. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to do this. I reach behind her seat where I keep a baseball bat, and I take it out there. And she's like, what are you doing? Uh, and I'm like, whatever I hit, it's it's suffering. Just stay in the stay in the truck. And so I go over there and dude, I don't hunt. I've never I've never hunted a, a living animal at this point in my life ever. It's not something that excites me. But I spread I stand over this thing and I take this baseball bat. And I'm just, and it's just, it's just gasping for breath. I'm like, you got to put this thing out of its misery. Like, it's going to be out here suffering all night unless you do something to end it. You're doing the right thing here. So I just start bashing what I think is kind of its head. It's like, it's so messed up. I just start way on with this baseball bat. I was so, it was such an intense thing. I didn't notice that as I'm doing this, another vehicle has slowly, because we're pulled over and the weather's so bad, they're driving so slow to not skid on the ice and hit us. So they're driving really slow. I look up and it's, it's a, it's a van full of church people, like kids, <laughs> like a church band. And through the sleet, I just see all these faces looking out the window as I just come back. <laughs> and just deliver the death blow to whatever this thing was and so I I throw the bat in the back of the truck I get in and I've been with this this young woman for a while now and I've never seen this expression well, I, I probably have seen this expression on her face when it comes to my actions before but I'm, I was always so drunk I didn't register but I wasn't drunk this time I'd never seen her look at me like this and we kind of drive back the to to college station there in uh, silence it was a pretty intense thing and i and i my heart was like i i'm not a killer that wasn't my in my dna so we get back 
and we're at her apartment and her roommate's like, oh, I can't, I'm so glad you guys, you know, made it in. The weather's just terrible out there. And I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, you're not going to believe what happened to us. And my girlfriend's like, I'm like, no, I was like, it's fine. So I tell the story because I think in my head, I'm going to be a hero. I, I could have just left this thing suffering, but I didn't. I took, I took matters into my own head. A doctor is a man of science. You know that he could have been out there for days suffering, and I, I ended it in the, the only way you can. Dude, you would have thought the look I got, the, the, the color leave this roommate's face, and the total, I didn't get backed up at all by my, my, my girlfriend. If you were that concerned, why didn't you scoop it up and take it to a vet? Like, if, if you're really worried about it, that's what you, that's what you should, that's what the roommate, that's what you should do. Like, oh my God. And then I made the mistake of talking about that church bus. And like, can you, those kids and what they saw you doing out there, like that's going to be ingrained in their, in their memories for, for years. And then I, I go back in my mind, I just picture, just, just bashing this fucking thing. Uh, so when I watched this movie, it brought, I, I had a little PTSD. It brought back some stuff. Uh, but I know that you four will agree I did the right thing. That's why I brought it up because we're all sensible fellows with, you, you, all would have, you all would have done the exact same. The postscript to that story, Mr. Cade, is the next time make sure it's dead because I picked myself up off that icy road that <laughs> night. Oh, no. I've been waiting for my vengeance for the low two decades plus. <laughs> Oh my God! No, no! Baseball bats! I will have my vengeance on you. Oh, this is this is the worst creature. I was was about to say all of a a sudden, Crib Keeper. (laughs) Strike three, and Cade's out. Oh, Uh, uh, I. Well played, Doctor. Well played. uh, I actually taught you almost maybe spit my beer out. Uh, <laughs> I I sympathize with the actions you took, but I think I probably would have just after I got out and ascertained that it was a wild beast. And uh, I think that that uh, the young woman, not not your girlfriend, but the young woman that blamed you for not taking it to a veterinarian was uh, was not not thinking clearly. Um, oh. No, no, no. I, I probably would have just once I saw that it was a beast and there was nothing I could do and just gotten in the car with my lady and driven off. I, I, I didn't want to see it suffer. And I made an instinctual call that, that probably ruined several people's lives. I suffered. You hit me six times with that bat. <laughs> what were you doing out? What were you doing out there? Go for a walk. I'm so sorry. Uh, welcome everybody to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club episode 116. Live! One, one, six. We are live. Well, not really live, but we're live as, we're still alive, unlike that creature I killed. Uh, <laughs> but somehow, despite killer viruses and all the major U.S. cities burning to the ground uh, as we speak, and a lot of other fun, exciting bullshit, we're still here. <laughs> we're the cockroaches of the podcast world. <laughs> Well, uh, at least as long as they don't come into Cade's presence and get battered to death. 
I was about to say. I'll finish this job, pal. Uh, We are on a mission from God to entertain your ass. And that's exactly what we're going to do tonight. I have a good feeling you're going to be entertained. If you're not, I will come come to your house with a baseball. No. (laughs) No, I got to say it, man. Once again, we're a couple months into this quarantine thing. Your hair. That's why I had to go to the headband because it, it it's tried, just you tried to tame it, but it's just uh, it's just still there is no product on earth that can tame this thing. Uh, we'll keep it going because I actually got a, uh, a thing. I was invited to a Civil War reenactment. <laughs> My dearest Cade. They're like, if you know anybody, I'm like, I know a guy. I know a guy. He can play either general. He'll fit in just fine. <laughs> I'll start working on my mustache. That'll be awesome. Uh, you, need, you need to do that. Um, I had, I had, they looked at you and offered that. They're like, here is our General Jabal Early right here. I had, I had a, uh, a quarantine hair snafu the other day I was telling Todd about. I started working last week. It was my first week back at the gym. And uh, this guy who I don't know, it's kind of I got to go in really early in the morning. It's a new crowd. And uh, – bunch of strangers but uh we're working out and he takes his hat off he's like god and i'm like yeah it's like quarantine hair i was like we've all got it man but uh i was like i can see you're struggling he was like actually i got a cut this week and i was like oh he's like yeah my wife's a hairdresser she i I was kind of lucky she got she got to cut it the whole time like so, so then you beat him to death too. So I got, so I got my, base, my baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, that same church band drove by the the jail. <laughs> Is anybody else going to be nervous about sneezing in front of Cade now? Like, <laughs> oh, he's turning, he's turning. Ah. Yo, you know what? It's been twenty years. Let's get everybody back in the church bus, and I think we're ready to to go out to a retreat and talk about this. Hey, what's going on over at that gym? Ah. Uh, no, so that's the driver bus at that point will be the one of the kids. This happened just like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. He's the following bus now. It's all happening again. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's safe to say I shouldn't have a baseball bat in my truck. I, 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 I should not be allowed to use blunt objects of any kind. No, and actually, after that, soon after that, I shifted to a Billy Club under my seat. <laughs> Because I figured that I'd be less inclined to do something like that with a smaller, a smaller thing, and and I never I never pummeled any living being with a billy club. Thank God. Um, speaking of doing okay, uh, we are. This is one of our. I don't know. We've been doing like four or five of these now through the quarantine uh, via the. We're all as opposed to being here in the corner of hope together. We're all spread out. In Central Texas, uh, everybody doing okay? Uh, doctor, oh, you, doctor, uh, you said you gave yourself a little haircut the other day. Looks good. Uh, I did. Uh, it's uh, mixed results, but as I mentioned, uh, one day I walked, I got up in the morning and I looked in the bathroom mirror and realized that I looked like Zur from The Last Starfighter, the leader of the Kodan Armada. I had these giant Saturn wings out to each side, and I just... Uh, uh, <laughs> 
and I didn't have a cool scepter like he did, so I had to take a pair of scissors to to your. Uh, so yeah, I'm doing the best I can, but uh, getting by. I know Tut's hanging in there, uh, right outside Austin, Texas. And Yak Boy, you are open for business at O'Brien's Irish Pub in historic <laughs> downtown Temple, Texas. That I am. It's become a little more historic since it was last open. A lot of time's gone. By. Yes. Yes, it but, has. Uh, you guys have to implement some social distancing and so certain kind of uh, capacity things. But other than that, people can still come, drink, and have a good time. Yes, they can. We are very happy. Not happy with all the rules because I'm sure people think, oh, this makes us safe, but it it doesn't make any sense there. Um, but people can now venture out of their house. People can venture out of their house and have a drink. That's progress. Oh, yeah. Progress. Very happy. Uh, well, there's a lot that could we could spin off of that point, Yaks, but we... We are a place that people come to to escape from politics, so I'm not going to get into any of that. That's at all. At all. Bad enough. If anybody starts breathing heavily, you might bash their skull in. Watch it. You got lucky once. Why do you think I'm wearing the headband? The hair story was just a cover-up. Shut up. Shut up. Uh, We can edit out those shut-ups. As as you the usual deal. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Ted? He fell off his bicycle. <laughs> he fell off his unicycle. He, he, lives in, he lives in Austin. He drives a unicycle. Uh, well, Cody, uh, let's just get right to brass tacks, man. What do we do here on the show for someone joining us for the first time? Well, and if you yeah, are joining us for the first time, welcome. And you better leave us a good iTunes review or else. What we like to do here is to bash small defenseless animals. Yeah, I mean, no. (laughs) I hit him with my car first. (laughs) First, we like to run them over with vehicles of varying sizes. It was a tiny Mazda. It wasn't like a big pickup truck. It was a little Mazda. (laughs) The more you defend yourself, the bigger the hole you're digging. <laughs> All right. Oh, he couldn't even run him over with an American car. <laughs> Can't win. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, boy, I interrupted you like the violent, aggressive asshole I am. Uh, what do we do every show? Oh, wait. Uh. <laughs> For those of you listening, Yakboy just did a very uh, violent gesture motion. If you're listening, you should really kick it over to YouTube and watch us. We're so handsome. And I, I think you really get a much more weightier, uh, relevant experience watching the show as opposed to listening. I've said that before. It's up to you. If you like to listen, that's great. But uh, kick it over to YouTube. It's, it's a lot funner that way. I'm sorry, Yax, I I interrupted you for a second time. Yes. Well, we like to do three things here besides share our wisdom. We like to watch and view a cinematic jewel, something that just we can dig right into. But while we do that, 
We like to enjoy a cold beverage, preferably a beer, a craft beer. Craft beer. But while we're doing that, what we want to get into is a delicious handmade premium cigar. Oh, yeah. What could it be? I don't know. That's always the mystery. We have got a doozy. Thank you, Yak Boy. We have got a doozy for you tonight. Uh, I haven't spoken to you yet, so I'm, I'm basing that on presentation alone. Tonight's cigar, I'll tell you about before the beer in the movie, is The Year of the Rat by Drew Estate. These just started landing in people's in shops and in people's mailboxes this week. Look at us, all relevant and shit. Relevant. Hot off the press. It is a five and a half by 46 with the signature Unico fan, uh, fish fantail. Can I, get, I hope you can see it on the thing. Um, it is a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper, Brazilian binder, Nicaraguan and Honduran fillers. I will talk about price when we get there. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the cigar right now. Look at that glow. The Year of the Rat was a cigar first made as an exclusive for the Smoking Lounge. Doctor, you might, this might make sense to you, not me. At the stadium where the NHL's Florida Panthers hockey team plays. Uh, they have a, uh, a lounge there in the stadium. And I guess back in 1996, the Florida Panthers hockey team was making a run for the Stanley Cup. The fans were big on tossing rubber rats down yeah. onto the ice every time uh, the Panthers scored a goal. So when they opened up the smoking lounge at the NHL's hockey is it a stadium, a rink? I don't rink. Know. Rink. Uh, they created Drew State. They asked to create a cigar exclusive for them, and it was the year of the rat to commemorate that big hockey run. I know nothing about hockey. I did not know that that was the story. That's the story. And I, I, I feel bad that I don't know much more. I lived in Canada for almost two years, and I know nothing about hockey. I tried so hard to get into it, and I just couldn't. But uh, So that's where it started. And then when that deal expired, they became an event-only cigar that Jonathan Drew, uh, Drew Estate, would hand out at his events that he would go to. He, the only way you could get it is if Jonathan Drew handed you one. But now, as of this week, it is finally available to the masses with its nationwide release. Um, and coincidentally, according to the Chinese calendar, this is the year of the rat, as we talked about on our Chop Suey episode. Uh, we did the Punch Chop Suey, which also used the Chinese calendar in there. So how about that? The Year of the Rat, and this is where you guys need to listen up. The Year of the Rat Cigar, like the Velvet Rat, is one of the few Drew Estate cigars blessed to feature the legendary Liga Pravada behind <laughs> wrapper. The Ratzilla, like the other Rat cigars in the, in the Unico series, they feature the T-52 wrapper. Only the Velvet Rat and the Year of the Rat feature the Liga 9 Broadleaf wrapper, which is my favorite wrapper of all time. And I believe the Feral Flying Pig features it also. No. Uh, I, I know for sure the Velvet Rat. Um, but I love anything, again, I'm 
biasing myself here before I light this thing up because I'm such a fan of the League of Pro out of nine. Um, so I'm anything in that that uses that same broadleaf kappa. I am uh, super corny about. If you look these, unlike the previous renditions of the Urat, this comes in an embossed box, an embossed box, which is really beautiful, and then they're covered in gold wrapping with the year 2020 at the bottom. It is presentation-wise the best cigar I've seen. I mean, it's just, boom, it's beautiful. Um, so we will, it's going to take me a while to unwrap this thing. It's got like a foot band. It's got the gold wrapper. So ah, I'll just slide it right on off. While I am unwrapping this bad boy, I'm going to ask Cody to tell me what he's drinking tonight. Well, I'm drinking beer. Okay, moving on. Uh, Cody, what beer are you drinking? Well, actually, you know, I'll, 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 I'm going to lump the doctor in with me because we're both drinking beers that are, be, are made by breweries in Dallas, Texas. Hey. I am from I am drinking from Four Corners Brewing Company, uh, the El Chingon. I've had that. Badass. It's a uh, IPA, uh, 7.3%, 72 IBUs. I don't know why 72 as opposed to because 72. our last episode, you actually said for the first time in the show's history with the West Coast IPA from Green Flash, the 80 or something IBUs was accurate. Every IPA we get, we're like, that's way off. It's not that bitter. And you were like, this beer actually delivers what's advertised. So you're saying tonight's, yes. tonight's beer, we're back to, it's way overblown. You know, it's one of those where it's like, I looked at the thing, I saw it, I was like, ah, this, I'll try it. But I find it, as but, an IPA guy, I find it lacking. But yeah, boy, doesn't the El Chingon have a rooster on the can? Yes, that was one of the reasons why I chose it. And we have a rooster in tonight. film just just cracked that. Good. I'll, good I'll talk more about it when we get to that point. But <laughs> good on you, brother. Good on you. Have we done any of their beers before? Uh, from Four Corners, I don't think we have. But I apologize, I did not look back on it. The reason I chose it is because apparently it has like a ton of different hops in it. I mean, literally like eight or nine different I mean they, they went with the whole what they call the seven C's Cascade, Centennial, Chinook, Citra, Cluster, Columbia, and Crystal Hops. And that's why I was like, well if it's got that many, it's gotta be good. Yeah, that's good. Was, that was not, not saying anything, but just well maybe it'll be different after I get past, you know, two or three cans. Let's see. <laughs> uh good deal. Um, I'm just giving you a heads up. The aroma off the wrapper is rich sweetness with a really Nicaraguan barnyard aroma off the, the foot of the cigar. Um, I've been to some Nicaraguan I'm trying barnyard. trying to figure out what that sweetness is. And I got cocoa. Cocoa and dark chocolate on the draw, which is gets, very rare for me. Wait, on the cold draw? 
Yeah, on the cold. I'm just talking about the smell straight up the wrapper is really sweet. No. Yeah. Um, okay, what am I drinking, Yax? Uh, you are drinking from Stone Brewing Company, the Fear Movie Lions Double IPA, unfiltered double IPA. That's yeah. cool. um, it is uh, 8.5% and, and uh, 60 IBUs. It is a New England style IPA. Uh, so the, the IBUs will not be as much. Um, they used a uh, laurel and mosaic box. And you're going to have to let us know because one of the things they identified is that you'll pick up hints of white sage. Don't know what that is. <laughs> Exactly. I, know. I don't had, know what that is, but I got hints of it. I've had sage. Of, I've had sage before. Uh, what, what were the hops used? In? Uh, it was uh, laurel and mosaic. I'm getting the laurel. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of the laurel. Right, right. I've been doing but one of the neat things about it. I was a big fan of the hardy. Uh, Stone. They they derived the name for this beer. A lot of people think like. Because they've emphasized it on the can, fear movie lions, FML. A lot of people think like, oh, it means like, you know, fuck my life or something. But that is incorrect. Is actually from the three by three global addressing system. So for like every, uh, I think it's like three meter square, the the Earth is divided up into into these squares. Each square is then broken down by three words so at their brewery uh, and this one was uh this is coming from they have a, a new brewery here they opened a few years ago in uh, virginia and uh it comes from uh that one the one of the squares to identify their brewery is actually fear movie lions I, and if you want to, you can actually go to your address, to your house, or, or wherever you are. Go to this system. Uh, what three words, I believe, is what it's called. Okay. And you can find out. Well, I you input your address, and that way the military can track you and knows exactly where you are. As if they're not doing that at this very moment. He knows too much, Cade. Get your baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I picked it with that bus full of kids watching as witnesses. I picked it because one, I'm a fan of Stone Brewing. We've had some of their uh, offerings on the show before. I'm a fan. Uh, Fear Movie Lions. We're doing a creature feature tonight. A movie. Lion is an animal. We have some animals in the movie. Uh, the only thing, it's a unfiltered double IPA, eight and a half percent. That was kind of sounded good, and it's quite delicious. The 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 hops are I would put them at around high fifties, um, just from my expert opinion. But it's tasty. It's really tasty. And I knew if we're smoking something with the Liga Privada wrapper, it's going to be bold. It's going to be even in the smaller size. It's going to be hearty, hopefully, and it could easily stand up to a double IPA. There's not a lot of flavors here. A lot of it is sensory. It's got a really citrusy, floral smell to it. 
It's a beautiful smell. You can also smell just really crisp hops. But the on the palate, the bitterness isn't crazy, and really you're just getting a little bit of like orange citrus and not just a little bit of that IPA bitterness. It's a great beer. I like it a lot. And Tut, I'm getting nothing but chocolate on the cold room. Uh, Yanks, who's next? Let's put the doctor's beer in the hot seat. Um, the Doc. Very well. He, from the Manhattan Project Beer Company, as I said, out of Dallas, Texas. He is drinking Project craft Brewer Company out of Light. Dallas, Texas. Yes. It was all over the place, my friend. Half-Life Hazy IPA. Uh, 6.2% ABV. And I'm not sure, but I, does it said it's an IPA. I don't, this one, of course, it is a New England-style IPA, so it only says it's coming in at like 35 IBUs. Which is from the New England style, the, the IBUs are that typically low. Right. But uh, uh, doctor, are you noticing low low bitterness? Yeah, and it actually has on the can a bitterness scale, and it shows it at about one third of the way through. So that thirty five percent makes sense. Yeah, not not very bitter. Nice taste. Hmm. Now the the Manhattan uh, Project uh, Brewery, uh, fairly new. I mean, you know. But uh, if you're if you're interested, they have some really interesting. Uh, they've got plutonium 239 porter, black matter stout, and the and my favorite, which I'm interested in finding, is the Hoppenheimer IPA. So yeah, uh, I have a question because all of these, because I live in a suburb about 30 miles north of Dallas, all of these are available at my uh, local shop. I have had the Hoppenheimer, which was very good. Um, how long have you said they haven't been around very long? Does it mention there how long they have been around? Uh, I, I couldn't find the exact year, but I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to go within like five years. Okay. So in addition to the Hoppenheimer, yeah, they have the Porter that you mentioned. And they also have one that I've mentioned in a previous show that I haven't had the, the pleasure of trying yet. Uh, it just reminded me because you guys had a, an infamous show involving the Golden Monkey they have one called like the bad monkey or the crazy monkey or something like that. So this 10% ABV that I, I intend to try sometime in the future, but I, I have had the Hoppenheimer before and that is a, that is a good beer. This is Doctor, a little, I think that's seven. Yes. If you bring up the golden monkey episode again, I'll be showing up at your doorstep with a baseball bat. We don't, we don't talk about that. Well, you certainly beat several monkeys at the zoo to death if I recall correctly. But anyways, I would, uh, Thank it you. sure does beat a lot of monkeys. I was spanking those monkeys. Thank you very much. They were very bad monkeys. To redirect things, the Hoppenheimer Yaks, I believe, is 7.4 ABV, so a little bit stronger than this, but it, I, I enjoyed it. So I have, I have not had any. This will be the second beer of theirs I've tried, and uh, so far, so good. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, real quick, you're going to have some catching up to do, Yaks. Before we move on to Tut's beer, uh, chocolate and dark black rich coffee on the draw for me, Tut. Uh, yeah. It is smoking like a Liga Pravada 9 
it is just, I don't know if you can see it on the, the, the zoom camera. I mean, the smoke is just drifting. What we love when it drifts up from the foot seductively up the body of the cigar to the head, it smells amazing. Uh, I, I got a lot of really all encompassing spice out of the nose or in the initial, you know, half an inch. And that's kind of died down a little bit. I'm starting to get a little bit of that Nicaraguan mineral. Uh, the spice is still there, but it's way shifts gears down. And then it's just really all about that dark chocolate and coffee on the draw. Is that where you're yeah. at? Yeah, I'm getting a ton of mineral. Uh, for me, I'm getting the mineral on the palate. Uh, but yeah, that that uh, chocolate pretty much dominates for right now. And it's kind of where, like- unlike the unlike the cold draw, which was more of a sweet cocoa. This came back to a little bit of a bitter dark chocolate. Uh, it is very, a very dark chocolate. It's almost like a melted dark chocolate. It's just kind of coating my throat, you know. Uh, it's nice. Mm-hmm. It's really nice in the early goings, but I'm not even an inch into this thing. So she said, Cody, what the hell is Tut drinking? He is drinking. And, oh, wait, real quick, doctor, I'm so sorry that we are talking about these cigars in such superlative ways. You're sequestered in your, in your domicile, your, your office. You cannot join us. Like I said, all these cigars we're smoking over the last few weeks, you will be getting um, to where when you can rejoin us, they will replenish your humidor, and you can go back and watch these episodes and see if you agree with us or not. But uh, fear not. I, I, I have a doctor goodie bag waiting for you. Much appreciated. Uh, no need to apologize. Um, I, I certainly, the Liga 9 as a foundation makes me know that I would enjoy this cigar. Um, I, I could have uh, stepped out on the Lanai, but obviously logistical possibilities of, of getting it may have been difficult. And honestly, unfortunately, now we're getting to that time of the year where it's just hotter than a baboon's nutsack outside so even in the evening it would be kind of difficult for me to, to spend the evening out there with it it is, but, uh, is but, I, out. but i will get you one and i should also mention before we move on to tut's beer that uh pescal the the fish the fan cap i did not cut the cigar all i had to do was twist that cap off and light it and i'm getting a perfect draw uh which is craftsmanship out the ass what's tut drinking I won't interrupt you again. He is drinking the triple from New Belgian Brewing. Oh, I love uh, it. New Belgian, of course, most famous for their fat tire amber. They are out of Port Collins, Colorado. Uh, they started way back in the good old day of 1991. Uh, they are uh, through many years and travails they have grown now to be the fourth largest craft brewer in the u.s uh the triple of course is quite delicious i have actually had it before uh quite some time ago but i have had it it is quite strong as well it's eight and a half percent but uh the it's, uh, comes in at a reasonable like 40 45 ibu so i imagine it is as i remember it fairly tasty it is. <clears throat> it's a hefty, yeasty, citrusy floral beer. Not citrusy, but there's a like a little hint of citrus into it. I find the yeah. un, the Unibrew triples are are got the citrus stuff going on. They kind of cram a lot of fruit in there. The American beers, not so much. 
very very uh, weedy and yeast. I'm sorry, yeasty, as you said. It's a good it's a good word. I hope it is. <laughs> I'm sure when I'm typing up the episode page, spell check will say yeasty is not a word, and I'll be like, it is. No, this is what you like. I show up at Spellcheck's house. Uh, I I should uh, mention I'm, and I mention it every time they're on here because they believed in me when no one else would. New Belgium Brewery sponsored my first film I ever made. Actually, not my first film, but my first real film out of college. Uh, They were our official beer sponsor. They sent us case after case after case. A fat tire. They sent us an actual fat tire bicycle, neon signs. Uh, they just were the most awesome. They just like to support independent film. And my movie had a ton of beer drinking in it. And they're like, drink our beer. And um, okay, we like New Belgium. So uh, glad- we honored them what? by drinking everything they sent us. Cut. You're you're liking it? Yes, yes, I am. Okay. How's it going with the cigar? Uh, it's not complimenting, but both are strong enough to where they're staying out of each other's way. Yeah, uh, same here with the double uh, unfiltered IPA. It's not doing anything to the cigar whatsoever, but it is. I think it. I think it might actually be enhancing that mineral on the palate because you got that nice thick beer, and I think that that's actually kind of bringing out that mineral. Uh, maybe so because there is on the back on the swallow of the, the double IPA. There's a, a little kind of flintiness, and maybe that's going with that mineral on the the retrohale with the spice. But man, every puff is just dark chocolate and coffee. And look at that white ash, that trademark League of Nine white ash. I I'm biased. It's one of my Liga Nine's one of my favorite cigars, and, and this is just singing to me. It's, it's really good. Yak boy, you lit up. First impression? Uh, I'm gonna have to agree with you. It is the the chocolate. I mean, I'll describe that more. You know, like you know, like cocoa powder, just from the the sweetness that I could uh, smell just from the the from the wrapper, and then the cold draw. I mean, it just you know, that coffee came through immediately. And of course I have to lighten up getting the, the spice and I'm, I'm liking the, I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe this, the sweetness. Cause it's like, you know, do I just call it, you know, straight chocolate sweetness or am I just, is it like more, I don't know. I'm trying to determine, is it more sugary or is it just from the chocolate? So I'm liking it. Well, I think I think we're wise tonight. None of us picked a sugary kind of sweet beer, Um, so maybe we aren't going to get any conflicting ideas on where that. If we get a sweetness, it's coming from the cigar. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, boy. So uh, that's what we're drinking tonight, folks. We usually all drink the same thing when we're here in the Corn No Hope. We can't do that right now, so we're doing the best we can. I think. uh, Cody with his his cock beer. We have a cock in the movie tonight. Uh, a rooster, rooster. Um, and then uh, I have a beer with movie in the name of the beer. We're talking about a movie tonight. And um, I'm not sure where the doctor and the tuts beers 
fit into that. But, uh, I will tell you later in the show. Hey, you did that last episode and you actually made it work. So uh, yeah. I'm curious. Okay. Yeah, don't don't expect that again tonight. That's, that's oh, just, you, you just had me excited. Well, I was hoping you get drunk a little bit later. Hey, I'm on my third of these. Tonight again. <laughs> Uh, it ties into the movie because they were drinking beer at that one scene. Oh yeah! And actually, Kate, I looked into it. They're drinking this very beer <laughs> that started brewing in 2013. Yeah. Uh, we also our third component of the show is movies. Movies. Yeah, that's right. I ruined it for you. We are genre fluid. We're not just cigar media. We're, you know what? I think it's important to say we don't necessarily know what we are, but we definitely know what we aren't. I don't see genres. I just see movies. I like that, Todd. I don't. I feel sheepish just saying that. I was going to say, we're we poking fun of people. We don't I see- suck up for you. We don't see. <laughs> Hey, when he gets back, I'm going to beat him over the head with a bat. All right. I'll get I'll get the van of church goes. I hear what you're saying. Uh, no, we are we are genre fluid. You know, most cigar media is that. Cigar media, we are we are genre fluid. We 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 don't really like to peg ourselves into a hole. And like I said, we may not know we kind of oh God, he's got a bat. Hey man. Oh, I heard what you said. <laughs> It's cool. It's cool. It's cool, doctor. I can't put stress. This, put this right over here. I can't stress enough. You should be list, watching us on YouTube as opposed to iTunes. Here we go. This is the uh, this Tuttle's is got the, a Tuttle's got a bat. This is the Bake McBride. He's got a oh, he's got an axe. Oh, hey, shit. All right, Tut, you win. Tuttle's got my back. Good man, Tuttle. No, this is for you. Oh, is that because I changed my my name to Mister? I wore a headband first. Tuttle's wearing a headband tonight, folks. I wore one on the show for several episodes, and I thought I set a precedent. I understand we're in desperate times here, and he's he's had to do what he had to do to get that hair under control. But Look, I also saw Matthew McConaughey wear a headband in the Austin airport, and you can't separate me from Matthew. You just can't. And again, Cade, you wore the headband... But you abandoned it. So it's not like nobody can ever wear one now. What is the logic behind that? No, there's not. Tut picked up the – I dropped the baton. He picked it up and ran with it. And I, I, I fully – I'm fully – I want to say for the record, I'm fully behind Tut's head. You will be the longer this hair grows. Did you go out and buy that headband Mm-mm. recently? Dude, I've been wearing headbands for a while. It's just that once you wore it, then I was like, oh, I know it's going to hurt his feelings if I ever wear one. Hey, Tut, this will hurt his feelings and a whole lot more than that. (laughs) Moving moving on. uh, Why is that that church van outside my my house? (laughs) Oh, God, they're here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Most inopportune times. I pre-recorded all of this. When I knew that we were going to be doing the Year of the Rat Cigar, I knew immediately what film I wanted to do. There's a lot of ways we could have gone here. But when I think cinema and rats, 
I think of 1976's Food of the Gods. So we are talking about that story tonight. It is written, directed by Bert I. Gordon, who would also direct the awesome creature feature, Empire of the Ants, Yes, sir. one year later. I love that movie. Joan Collins, ain't it? Uh, uh, Pamela Susan Shoup of Halloween. From Halloween 2 was in that. You're absolutely right, Doctor. Both that film and this one are adaptions of literary works from H.G. Wells. Uh, Doctor, you're the book man of the bunch. Um, Tell us a little bit about H.G. Wells. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, Herbert George Wells uh, from England, born there in the 1860s, and uh, started uh, writing stories and novels in the 1890s and was really the precursor uh, for what we know today as science fiction. He referred to them as uh, scientific romances. Um, Wrote several novels that uh, became rather classic films, uh, most famous in the 1890s being The Time Machine, uh, which was the film with uh, Rod Taylor, uh, who was also in The Birds. Um, the Invisible Man, which was a, a horror movie classic from the 30s with Claude Rains. Uh, the War of the Worlds. He wrote the novelization of War of the Worlds. He's War uh, of the Worlds guy. Yeah, he wrote the War of the Worlds. I mean, before 40 years before uh, 40 years before Orson Welles, no relation, did the radio broadcast uh, 1938. That was, he wrote the novelization. He wrote The Island of Doctor Moreau, um, which uh, the guy yeah, very prolific. Um, that was made into films three times. Uh, and uh, in 1904 is when Food of the Gods uh, was published. Uh, I have not read it. I, I do have a, a, a volume of, of Wells' work over here. Um, I've loved a lot of these movies, and uh, I wanted to get into the novelization. From what I understand, in the novelization, um, I don't want to give anything away because we get into the movie, but not only animals but humans are actually, rather than accidentally discovering this, are, are given the food. Um, what I understand is that Wells became rather uh, interested in social reform and that uh, that kind of bled into his works, uh, which was not uncommon for Brits of the late uh, 19th century as they kind of saw the empire. Yeah, industrialization too as well. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of War of the Worlds was sort of that thing, too, that the the aliens were, they had used up everything on their planet and then came to Earth and basically wiped out the British Empire. Um, so there, there was some sat- satirical elements to it. And I, from what I understand, Food of the Gods is very much about the dangers, the inherent dangers of rapid technological process and what to do to reform it. So written, published in 04, you're looking at a 76 movie that was really more of a creature feature. I'm sure it's very different. Uh, but yeah, great, a really great body of work and, and kind of the precursor to the American science fiction that came about in the 20th century. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't say this a lot on the show. The Time Machine, classic. Island of Dr. Moreau, several cinema versions. Uh, War of the Worlds, just, if anything, uh, not just the Spielberg Tom Cruise movie, which was surprisingly good. Uh, or adequate Spielberg has kind of sucked since Ray's Lost Art, but he kind of did something interesting there. Uh, when this H.G. Wells character dies, we should fill up the boot of remembrance. 
Uh, he has been deceased for about 75 years now. Oh, good run. Good run. That was a good run. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 1866 and I think died in 1946. He lived to be 80s. He's been deceased for quite some time. Good run. It was a good run. It was still a good run. Uh, okay. Um, Say that again. Say that again. Okay. Well, that. Uh, thank you, Doctor, for the uh, the uh, biblio history on uh, the inspiration for tonight's movie. My pleasure. We start things off with the legendary Samuel Z. Arkoff present. <laughs> <laughs> which is very much cousin to Samuel L. Bronkowitz. It is very much the inspiration for Samuel L. Bronkowitz presents from the Kentucky Fried movie and our very own Good of Remembrance video. And the reason why that title card is always a good sign, Arkoff is a true legend in the history of genre filmmaking. Horror movies, biker movies, creature features, you name it. This guy's name was on front of a lot of it in the 70s. If it's a genre uh, to exploit, Samuel was there. Samuel Z's archive. But what I love is like you hear, you just hear that little, that, that score that, and all of a sudden you just see the title. You're like, oh, yes. Give me more. I'm here for it. You're not going to necessarily like it, but you'll respect it. <laughs> uh, after the title card, we then cut to a professional football NFL practice led by star wide receiver Morgan. That's all we know him by. He catches a few balls, and after practice end, Morgan tells us in a voiceover that the coach, the head coach, was so happy with the way the team had prepared for the upcoming big game. He told all the players to cut loose and relax for a couple of days. How un-Bill Belichick of him. How unprofessional. We got a huge game coming up this weekend. You guys just go party it up for a few days we've done great so it was the 70s it was the 70s so morgan his teammate davis and the team's pr guy brian head off to an island off the east coast to take it easy morgan says they picked the island we're learning all this in voiceover uh because it's one of the few places that man hadn't screwed up with its technology this is 1976 he's saying that it's not like we could ditch our cell phones and go. No, like there's other like it's got those kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, but but think back to the source and think back to Wells saying that about 1890s British, some British like the Isle of Man. It's the one island that the British Empire hasn't perverted with its technology. Is that your British accent? I don't know. Well, I'm afraid that Tuttle's British accent wasn't quite up to par, Mr. Cade, but the point he was making was very salient. It was in the introduction to a rather thick volume I have on my bookshelf. <laughs> I like uh, Mincy's Pizza Guy from Something About Mary English accent. <laughs> it turns out that Matthew Cade didn't actually attend Sam Houston State University. <laughs> That's what you're after, is it, Tuttle? <laughs> yeah, that right. That's right on. He also tells us that his father once said to him, as the ferry is taking him to the island, the earth is going to get even with man one day for messing her up with his garbage. Nature will rebel, and it's going to be one hell of a rebellion. That, boys, him telling us what his father said, is what we call in the business 
foreshadowing. Make would a you agree, Mr. I call K, that a spoiler alert. Would you agree that I felt that, you know, voiceovers are, it's difficult, that can go one or two ways? I thought that it worked here. I thought that it was delivered, uh, I thought it was delivered well and it worked. Because, as we'll see, the action happens so fast, I didn't think it was necessary because we learned very, within the next five minutes that shit is going bonkers here. But... But they I thought, just I thought, literally I had shown a giant hand with shit hitting it, and right that would have been, dude. That that would have been more more like they're on the boat. They're like the fan. Like, <laughs> the and then we've been like, like we were about to experience something. But no, I, I just thought it was weird. It's like I never thought of it like I did until I thought it was odd that I thought of my father's speech about nature rebelling against man on the way out to this. It was. It was. It was. It was way too on the nose, Doc, for me. All right, okay. Uh, oh, but wait. I just wait. I just want now. I just want Leslie Nielsen there. Well, the shit hit the fan. All of a sudden, cuts over. Well, it goes further. It goes further. Daddy also said, "You'll never know when and where it will start, but when nature's rebellion starts, you'll never know how and when it will stop." His dad had some very clear thoughts on this exact scenario that they're about to encounter happening. That, to me, is way too on the nose. All right. He was a man of the land. He was a farmer. I mean, just tilled the soil. Perhaps instead of voiceover, he could have just looked over at Davis, his linebacker, and been like, you know, it's funny. My dad, used looking at all this nature, my dad used to say one day, because what we're doing to the land, it would fight back against us i thought that yeah, would be a little that would be a little more organic yeah but i don't know that dude i don't trust him but a voiceover i trust voiceovers all right but at this point i think we get it between this voiceover and the movie poster with a chick fighting a giant rat i get it like i think we know what we're in store for got it it fits the tone of the movie and what kind of creepy ass dad says that shit to his kid he could have been in high school when he said that Preparing him for the world. Let me tuck you in, son. Oh, and by the way, nature's coming for us, and he's going to kill every single one of us for what we've done. Could have been worse. He could have taken his son out in the backyard and said, watch me beat this run over <laughs> boar hog to death. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you have know, to I learn about that. nature one way, son. One day I was looking out the window just before I went to bed, and my father's outside beating something. <laughs> I remember I was on a church trip and uh, we were on a van looking out the window. I'm guessing perhaps his dad might have been that bartender from My Bloody Valentine that was always like warning him, go into the woods and you will see a dastardly thing we've come to be. Hey. (laughs) That was top of my head. Look at that ash. See it? Still dark chocolate, coffee on the draw, mineral on the uh, just a tinge of spice. Nowhere near the 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 heavy spice is a Liga Nine. Yeah, it's it's tempered down a lot. It's a smooth, beautiful smoke. Yeah, and I can't tell whether it's the strength of the cigar, or the strength of the beer, starting to warm up. All right, let's keep moving. Well, it turns out that Old Man Morgan was a very wise soul indeed, because the three men aren't off the ferry and jump on their horses for more than a few minutes before Davis rides off to hunt down a baby deer. They were chasing this deer with their hunting dogs, 
They cornered it. Morgan was like, "Ah, eh, just let it go. It's a baby. And this guy's like, hell no, I want venison for dinner. And he chased after it on his own. And he's quickly, once he's solo in the middle of the woods and, and scared and confused, he's attacked by a humongous wasp. Oh, my God. This motherfucker's huge. Its thorax and abdomen combined are at least four feet long. I mean, it's huge. And by the time the other two men find Davis, his face is completely swollen. All the color sucked out of it. He's dead as a doornail. Morgan tells Brian to stay with Davis. You know, alone in the woods where something mysterious just killed him. I'm going to go ride for help. Uh-uh. Me style. You guys stay here. I'm going to go back to the city. <laughs> I thought they did, uh, just like Empire with the Ants, though, I thought they did a really good job on, uh, you know, just the considering the effects of the time. I mean, it looks cheesy now, but they mixed up the blurry effects with some actual handheld stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a wasp projected onto the film of Davis fighting it, but when you actually get him on the ground, it's a, they actually created a giant four-foot-long wasp that looked really good. I'm with you, Doc. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, perhaps Morgan thought he was riding away in the opposite direction of danger. He's sadly mistaken. He comes to a rustic farmhouse. He's looking for a phone to call for help. And while looking for the owner, he's attacked by a giant fucking chicken, like the one on Cody's beer can. It's a rooster protecting his flock. This thing is enormous as well as the wasp. It's pecking and clucking at him like crazy while he lands right hook after right hook into its monstrous waddle. I'll admit, See, I, had to, this, I had to look up the on... The one thing that I love is that out of nowhere, giant fucking chicken. No, I'm not taking this shit. Not even phased. Not... No, it, it wasn't phased at all because he's not, <laughs> he's not an actor and he can't portray phased. <laughs> I mean, it would have been different if, like, he had reached over into the hay and found this giant club, and they just... just, No, but listen, I I just want you guys to know the kind of research I do for the show. I didn't know what that thing was underneath the... It's a waddle. A waddle. That's what he was punching was the waddle. Yes. Yes. Yes, correct. Oh, you you guys knew that? I was aware of that. Tut, you learned something tonight. Hey, Mr. College Boy in your biology class now, you'll know it's a waddle. Yeah, I'm not taking biology. What I love after this is he 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 finds the pitchfork, kills this chicken. Oh my god. I gotta go get that phone now. Where's that? Where's that? He grabs the pitchfork, stabs this thing right right under its beak of fury, that's trying to peck him to death. Oh. All right, now where was I? Yeah, he totally I'm just assuming maybe he's encountered an eight-foot chicken somewhere else. Here's the thing. If it was a four-foot chicken, it'd be like, man, that was weird. This thing is the Yao Ming of chickens. I mean, It's, it's like about eight, six, seven foot tall. It's, it's, a, it's an enormous chicken that this guy's battling. You see the size of that chicken? Oh, and when he kills it, several other huge chickens begin to circle around him clucking. But they're far less aggressive. They're just kind of hanging out. Those are the hens. The rooster was protecting the hens. And so he's and able- being a little bit hard on Marjo Gortner. I think he does what this movie is, a- is asking for. 
he escapes the hell- give a pensive expression through the entire movie and it doesn't change no matter what even in the somewhat sexy love scene i'm going to give you the exact expression he gives here just a moment uh, uh he escapes the hellish chicken coop i gotta tell you we're 10 minutes in this movie and the action is full throttle i love it no bullshit like clues and is something no build up big wasp big story we're character getting, development we're getting right into this shit i love it well morgan finds an elderly woman mrs skinner who owns the farm i love this line where in the hell did you get those goddamn chickens they nearly killed me because once again i can't believe, I can't believe we never had a character say that in 116 episodes but I love how the fact that he just doesn't face him, that it's an eight-foot fuck. I mean, I open up the door. Oh, look. It's a giant fucking chicken the size of a car. Uh, I, will say, I will say this, that if it's not because he just did a bad job and it's because, you know, he did what was asked for him from a talent level, then the dude is an absolute genius in the deadpan way he delivered that line. Where'd you have to get that t- chicken? Dude, it was it was an honest question. Where the hell did you get those goddamn chickens? You almost killed me. Not, hey. You got some fucking chickens in there. Where the fuck did the 10-foot chicken come from? What the hell are you guys doing out here? No. He's not a, he, he's not a man of very much depth. So Marjo Gortner, the actor, was a rather famous child preacher uh yes um that uh, eventually turned against evangelism because he realized that uh they were exploiting people but he was somebody who was like preaching sermons when he was like seven eight years old oh morgan the hero yes really had a big following um as a child preacher but then realized that they were being dishonest and bilking people so he turned against it and had a fledgling acting career. Huh. So I want to go run away from this people that exploit others for their own gain to a make make and make exploitation films. (laughs) Okay. Hey, you do what you know. Well, Mrs. Skinner is not the welcoming type as she points her shotgun at Morgan. And when he explains his friend is dead in the ones dead in the woods, and he needs desperately to call for help. She informs him she doesn't have a phone and nobody else does on this end of the island. But before he can jump on his horse and head back to the docks, he just fought a 10-foot chicken. Mrs. Skinner asked him to take a look at something that just scared the wits out of her. Yeah, all right. Not Ms. the 10-foot chicken? Mrs. She's Skinner is played by Ida Lupino, who is a very famous actress from the 40s. She was in the movie High Sierra with Humphrey Bogart. And Kate, you'll appreciate this. Um, she broke some barriers by becoming an actual, uh, at a time when women weren't really allowed this, uh, was a director of film in the 50s. Really? Yes. So known as an actress and writer and director. Well done, doctor. Okay. Uh, well, he's like, yeah, what the hell? I'm already here. I just beat up a 10-foot chicken. Let's see what you got. So she shows him some bigger-than-usual rat holes in the wall by her pantry where she keeps the chicken food. The chicken food's a weird, goopy slop that she, well, she'll only tell him it comes straight from the Lord because we're such good, praying, church-going folk. 
Okay. Oh, and there's also a wasp eating that goopy shit as they talk. And he's like, that can't be good. He warns her that this mystery feed is super dangerous. But she couldn't care less because Mr. Skinner is in the big city right this minute making a big money deal for the feed. This is going to get them. They don't have to worry about money again because of this gift from the God, gift from the Lord. We'll be able to afford a telephone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Morgan and Brian race back to the ferry via their Jeep with their dead linebacker buddy wrapped up in a blanket. Did y'all have any problems with the casting of this dude as an NFL football player? I'm a 70s NFL football player. They looked old, but dude, that grizzled old bastard, he was supposedly, they say he was only in the league seven years. He hadn't been injured once. The guy they cast, his name was Chuck Courtney. He was born in 1930, so he's 46 here. He didn't. He didn't look like a football player. I had far less problem with with Gortner, who was tall and rangy and looked like no, he might. He, he could still somewhat, but come on, this guy was almost pushing fifty years old. Yeah, it's he, like asking Tut in a as an NFL player. That's kind of harsh on Tut, but uh, well, but, I've seen my pandemic well, weight. Here you go, but, Tut. He's back. Go back and look at the football players. Exactly, seventies. No, I get it. Those guys looked way above their years but dude i'm watching him on that horse and i'm like this dude is an old man he's like he's our star like come on man you couldn't come on casting director you couldn't get a guy in his 20s okay this is i mean this is at a time you know you you would look over and literally see on the sidelines the guys they're no gatorade they're over there like drinking coffee smoking a cigarette between the nagurski days this wasn't uh you know, the, the, these were these guys weren't folding up their leather helmets and sticking in their back pocket. No, no, but it was the seventies where they were still like some of those teams even practiced on asphalt. The Steelers, uh, Bradshaw has this wonderful story about the Steelers actually practicing in the in the parking lot and Lambert wanting to go full uh, full tackle on asphalt. Well, this guy, of course, was, Lambert is also like working was, out with weights and a cigarette. This guy was not Jack Lambert. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> he, he wasn't even like big. He was just like a, an old guy just walking riding around. And I'm sorry, Todd, I shouldn't have used you as an example. I, I was just no, that's all right. I saw my belly in the warm-ups today, and I'm like, oh crap, man, pandemic hurts. Hey, it's hitting us all differently. Mine's hitting me in the. Well, beard. some of us at least get to go back to the gym. You asshole. I'd say something, Yaks, big, but I can't move my arms because they're so sore. I'm so sorry. Anywho, anywho, the boys catch a ride, a boat ride back to civilization. And despite Brian, the PR guy, urging Morgan to tell the authorities the truth of what they think happened to Davis, that he was attacked by a monstrous creature of some sort, Morgan said... The truth that I just was attacked by a 10-foot chicken... Morgan, he's not phased by that. Dude, Morgan's like, dude, if we tell people that he was attacked by a giant wasp and I was attacked by a giant chicken, they're going to think we're total Looney Tunes here. Just let the coroner do his job. And As I guess to take them back to the giant chicken carcass. But I guess, and see if you guys agree with me here, Brian, the PR guy, 
as they ride back to the mainland on the on the ferry, he's showing some kind of emotion on his face at the loss of their friend. But here and throughout the rest of the movie, Morgan has this perpetual look on his face like he's smelling a really bad fart. It's true. It's so true. I think that uh, I wouldn't call the performance wooden, which is something that you see in a lot of B movies, and this is decidedly a B movie. Uh, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed his performance because I think it fit what this movie's all about. In a weird way, he did have some sort of it. That fit this movie. Food. I don't. I don't know what it was. That <laughs> face made me laugh every time he was on. It never left his face throughout the entire movie. But there's something there. That that something is. I'm completely unfazed by anything. Giant wasps. <laughs> what was, what's going on there? This is this is great. Giant chicken. I need to find something to kill this thing. I. There's a giant. I, I'm so I, sorry about that's, that's the only thing I love that you said tonight, Cody. I was like, oh, check it. I just, I'm, not, I'm not phased by this at all. Just My friend is dead now. We're taking his his corpse back. The, doc, uh, the, doctor and I have, the doctor and I have seen so many of these movies over the years, many together, but I, I'm going to disagree with him on this one. I, I thought Morgan, like I said, his expression is, I'm smelling a bad fart. And it's that throughout the entire movie. All right. Well, you know what? Hey, like you said, uh, agree to disagree. I I, uh, I thought he gave a little more than, than a fart smeller. You know what doesn't smell like a bad fart, boys? It's okay. Glad you asked that. That's right. I'm talking about the sweet, smoky aroma of a Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve barrel fermented cigar. The Pepe Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small croquettes, or to you noobs, that means bundles of tobacco, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water's then added, while immense pressure is applied to the croquettes via railroad jacks. Tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. We've seen this done. It is, you talk about artisanal, you talk about craft, you talk about guys, the only guys on earth who know how to do this. This is what we're talking about. <clears throat> the total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. If you're looking for something different, you want to spread your wings into the world of fire-cured tobaccos, this is where you start. If you like this, you go deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. But this is where you start because this is, in my opinion, as good as it gets. Back at the Skinner farmhouse, Mrs. Skinner hears a crashing sound from the pantry, and when she goes to investigate, she finds some big-ass worm larva. Yax, am I using that right? Larva? Larva. Have invaded her can Definitely they would be grubs. Grubs. These huge-ass grubs have invaded her canned goods. 
they broke into her peaches and they start leeching onto her arm, digging their little suckers into her skin. What I can't figure out is why she, but like, just like Morgan and the chicken. Oh my God, these grubs are on my arm. I should probably just big. scream and shake them off like a human being. But no, instead. No, oh. they latch onto her. They're chewing her arm. This, this, they're nasty. That was a good scene. I like the way they feel. It was. It actually made me squirmish. I was like, yeah. I was actually waiting for Idol Lupino. My tolerance for pain is greater than what you can give me. Because I'm not moving my arm. I don't feel pain, motherfucker. Also, she's iced tea from Point Doom. <laughs> I got no tolerance. Also, she's got the bat. She's just bashing her own arm. I actually thought at one point she was going to cut her arm off. Dude, all of a sudden the pantry door opens and I'm there. Miss Skinner's a goner. I should put her out of her misery. <laughs> oh, I see my church fan pulling up out there. <laughs> Everything must be just fine. Nope. <laughs> Why didn't you take Mrs. Skinner to a hospital? I had to put her out of her misery. I had, I had to do what I had to do. Thing. I was still alive. This would be a good point to apologize for my use of the same descriptives over and over throughout tonight's show, but there's only so many ways you can say enormous, humongous, huge, giant, big ass. Forgot ginormous. When when describing these creatures, thank you, Yax, ginormous. Everything is just way fucking bigger than it should be in this movie, all right? Leviathan. Ah. Yeah. Um, real quick, Tut, we just talked about the pappy i should probably revisit this cigar i'm about the halfway point on this bad boy um it is no i got no change just that great forward profile just that uh for profile just that deep rich flavors i mean everything that was introduced at the beginning is still still rocking it there i got heavy middle heavy mineral across the palate uh but i like i said i can't tell whether that's actually the the palate i mean i know that you're getting mineral on the on the retro, so I can't tell whether that mineral is just enhanced with the beard. I think it might be. I, I'm getting just crazy uh, mineral, Nicaraguan mineral on the nose. With uh, the spice is minimal at this point. It, it's it's yeah, just a, a touch there for flavor, and that's touch, it. But I mean, the retro hill is not going to kill you at all. Mm-mm. And then the the draw is just dark chocolate and black coffee, and it's smoking like a beast. Construction's been phenomenal. Straight yeah. burn. A huge, chunky white ash. Yeah. Yeah, so you getting the, the coffee and the chocolate on the draw? Yes. The I'm I'm very much like you. Spice wise is very minimal at this point. I mean, I've got you know, I'm I'm about right at that third mark. Um the chocolate, I mean, I'm getting a a very sort of earthy component yeah. right now. And yeah. between, between with it. that chocolate and my beer, I'm. I think it's really coming from the beer mixing with the cigar, but it's almost kind of like, kind of like a cinnamon. That's the best way I can describe it. I was actually going to say that I had a little bit of hint of graham, not cinnamon, but just a little bit of graham. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Cody there. There, there is a little bit in the second half of this thing with that coffee and earthiness. And chocolate, there is a, a, a baking spice there that reminds me of cinnamon, which, which I mean, the, the, graham, the graham cracker tut has that kind of cinnamon dust, yeah. dust on that. I think we're all kind of getting the same thing. It's a really nice welcome flavor there in that 
yeah. in the second half. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad you said the earth because like when you when I set this cigar down and you just kind of give your mouth a little bit of a rest there, there's that nice coating of earthy flavor that just kind of coats the mouth. Because, uh, in cigar terminology, that is called the finish. When you put the cigar down, what lingers in your palate when you're not smoking the cigar, that is the cigar's finish. And I think the cigar has a very strong finish in that. Cool. You, I've been calling it afterglow for years. When you're not smoking it, that finish leans heavy on you. And I think that's where the earthiness and maybe some of that cinnamon even kind of keeps dancing on your, on your tongue until you take a sip of your, whatever your beer is. Uh, it's a, it's a delicious cigar. It is. Um, okay. Is anybody not liking their beers? Cause I, I I'm really enjoying this. One. My beer, like I said, the, one of the reasons I got it, cause I was hoping for a stronger hot profile. I was figuring because, you know, like you said, this is a year of the rat. This is this is in the same vein as the Liga Nine and things like that. I was figuring it's it's going to be a powerhouse, so I want to get something to go against that. But the the hot profile is not what I was expecting, even though they say it's higher. But the other flavors of my beer are fantastic. I can't complain about that. Yeah, same so, here. Uh, with the double IPA, I'm not getting the. It's a double IPA. Unfiltered. It's I'm not getting overbearing hots. They are definitely there, but the citrus and and just the especially the the hop on the nose is just really playing nicely with the cigar. Uh, Doctor, good good beer. It's a good beer. Um, the Axe has mentioned the Hoppenheimer made by the same company. That's that's probably a little bit better, but I, I don't know if that's just strictly because that has a little bit of a higher alcohol content. Uh, this is a very smooth IPA. As we mentioned, low in bitterness. It's it's very smooth. If anything, it's probably going down too easy. But yeah, the, the Half-Life Hazy IPA is a good beer. I recommend it. Tell you, you've got a lot more flavor-wise with the triple going on. How is that competing, playing nice? You no, at? it's it's actually kind of completely isolated from the from the cigar. Uh, I think that there is a little something that's enhancing that mineral, but that's about it. They're not contrasting, but they're not like you know really accentuating each other. Okay. I will say that uh, now that it's and I, and I love triples and I I like this triple a lot. It's got a lot of flavor to it. But now that we're approaching 90s, uh, we were in the 90s today. Next week's going to have a string of hundreds. Man, it, there's no AC in this studio. So it's time to get into the crisp Pilsners. It's time to just kind of dial it back on the heaviness. So let me say that in the, in the, in the hazy IPA's favor, Tut. A uh, great point that you make as we start really just now getting into that season that's going to take us all the way to the beginning of October. Uh, for God's sake, th this would be a, I, I could see myself after a round of golf, this, this would be a good cold beer to drink after okay. a long day. Okay, good. Well, once the ferry docks and heads back uh, to the mainland, an old geezer, <laughs> who we get the feeling knows what's going on around here, because he's like, has anybody mentioned anything? As he's riding back to the, the, the Forbidden Island, has anybody mentioned anything about big-ass... Uh, animals or anything. Does anybody have mentioned anything about a big ass cock? <laughs> the fairy guy's like, well, I've heard some things. Other than Mrs. Skitter. 
Matt, Matt Cade wrote on this very uh, short time ago, so there, there were some whisperings. Uh, Mashed all the other ferry riders to death with this son of a bitch right here. <laughs> I should have just pulled my fucking... No, I'm uh, well, the old guy races across the island as Volkswagen Beetle through the stormy night, much like me on that stormy night. <laughs> he blows a tire... And as he gets out to fix it, he's immediately pounced on by an army of enormous, huge, big-ass rats. Hey, we're smoking a rat cigar tonight. Hey. Cigar pairing experts. And where were you, Cade, with your baseball bat when Mr. Skinner needed you? I wasn't there. I should have been. For the life of me, I can't figure out why people come to this island (laughs) and why have they been living out in the forest driving a beetle? So I can beetle. His car choice was weird, but he maybe he lived there. And I get the feeling the car choice was because that's the minute they only could find a miniature car that was a Volkswagen Beetle for later for the later. This is the only Hot Wheel available. It's the only Hot Wheel they could find, so he had to drive it. Uh, so they tear his layered flannel wearing ass to smithereens, gobbling him up in chunks. It's a it's a pretty gory little death scene. And Actually, if you if you listen to the to the uh, to the audio, uh, scream wise, it was kind of horrific. The dude did a good job. I've seen this movie multiple times, and the first time I saw it, I was I was probably a kid. And and Cade, great point. That was really a frightening, bloody scene. It was. Uh, and they ling- I'm going to su- be surprised yes. at the time, 1976, they linger on it. They do. And if you remember, they did that very kind of selectively in the other 70s creature feature we did, Grizzly. Yeah. Some of the kills were bloodless, but some of them, they just kind of went for it and they showed like arms flying through the trees and stuff. They're really big on rubber arms, uh, you know, just, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good kill scene. So the next day at football practice, uh, Brian, the PR guy, informs Morgan that the coroner report says that Davis had enough venom in his body to suggest that he was bitten by over 250 wasps. But they know that's not the case. So head PR man for the team and star player Morgan just run off the field in the middle of practice and head back to the Skinner farm for some answers. What about the big game? Two days before the big game. What about the, the giant I love the fact, chicken? I love the fact that yeah, the dude gets sees his friend or or finds his dead friend by attacked by something, uh, and then finds a big fucking chicken, sees big freaking rat holes, and it's like you know what? I got practice. I gotta go. I gotta get back. You gotta get back. But when he hears that, he's like, we, "We're gonna go take care of this shit." That's some heroic Jim McMahon shit that he would have pulled in the mid '80s. Right before the Super Bowl, oh, one of my, hey, uh, you know, uh, Dave Dewerson was bitten by a big wasp. Let's go take care of that shit. I'm taking Richard Dent and Dan Hampton with me, and we're going to fucking open up a can of whoop-ass. Jim McMahon shit we're watching, guys. Fridge Perry will eat those fucking chickens and those goddamn rats. It's also Fred Jones from Scooby-Doo style. Come on, gang. We're going to solve this mystery. Nowadays when, player, nowadays, when a player goes missing from practice, it usually involves strippers, and then it turns into a family emergency, and it gets swept under the rugs. <laughs> How times have changed. Used to be, a guy, so. 
used to be a guy would leave before the Super Bowl to save his friend's memory from giant wasps. I didn't battle a 10-foot cock to let this go on any longer. You think Antonio Brown... Well, so somewhere, somewhere, Hollywood Henderson's out there going, "Hell, I was fighting six foot chickens every Saturday. I was fighting them back in 1977 when you dipshits didn't know what cover two was, motherfucker." Brian, the PR guy's like, uh, "We got a big game coming. I got to be in Chicago to do all the media and stuff." He's like, "Dude, we know what we have to do. All right, let's go fight chickens." So back on weird shit island. A car driven by Jack Bensington and his female bacteriologist employee, Lorna, races past the demolished Volkswagen Beetle. In fact, I think they run it's over that. It's in blood. They run, they run over that old guy's severed arm in the road. He doesn't oh, get literally and the doors, in blood. Yeah, the door is hanging off, clearly visible to them as they approach with blood all over it. Nope, nothing to see here. I'm just surprised Mr. Bensing didn't get out with a bat, Kate style, and beat his lifeless corpse. And then By the way, Bensington. No, it gets worse. It gets real quick before you tell us who Bensington is, Doc. It gets worse. Then they breeze right past a broken down RV that's stuck in the mud, despite a pregnant woman waving them down for help, TNCC style. This guy in this Cadillac with his female... Which one's TNCC style? The guys driving past or the broken down RV with the pregnant woman? Both. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what you were kidding. TNCC (laughs) passing TNCC. Classic TNCC. Dude, that's the ultimate TNCC moment. TNCC (laughs) drove past TNCC. Uh, Doctor, who is Jack Bensington? Uh, The great actor Ralph Meeker. Uh, who is a legend of film. He played Mike Hammer in the movie Kiss Me Deadly. Uh, was in a movie called Pass of Glory, which is a World War One movie that I believe had Kirk Douglas in it. Uh, a classic Western, The Naked Spur. Was Pass of Glory, was that Kubrick? Was it? Oh, I, I don't know. It was 57. Is that a little early for him? Could it have been him? Maybe. Kirk Douglas? Uh, he was in The Naked Spur, which was a great Western with, with uh, Jimmy Stewart and Janet Lee and one of my favorite actors of yesteryear, Robert Ryan. How the fuck did he end up in this movie? Uh, he also... Working actor. Uh, Kate, I think this was a, a movie that you enjoyed. He played Bugsy Moran in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre with Jason Robards. Oh, no shit. Yeah. yeah that's he was in that movie. Uh, apparently, he is Quentin, one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite actors. That's one of my favorite gangster movies. Yeah. So, yeah. He was an older guy. Check out Naked Spur. It's on Turner Classic all the time. Great Western. Okay. Uh, yeah. A very legendary actor. And uh, I'm hoping that if you didn't care for Marjo Gortner, that you at least appreciate Ralph Meeker. He, he, oh, he's, he, uh, no, he's great in this. And, and Lorna, his uh, female bacteriologist employee, she can't believe what an asshole her boss is. He, rode, he drove over the guy's arm. He breezed past the desperate pregnant woman in the RV. But apparently, we learn he's the only one out there hiring female bacteriologists. So she's, what's she going to do? He's the only game in town. It's the 70s. It is the 70s. They arrive at their destination, the Skinner Farm, where they find the chicken coop com- completely destroyed and all the gigantic chickens are now dead. 
Lorne is impressed at the size of their dead carcasses, but Jack isn't. Hey, somebody could just made these things out of plaster of Paris and a couple ostrich feathers. Yeah. Minus all of the blood and gore attached to them. Hey, Yaks, you can make up that shit too. He may be an asshole, but he ain't no dummy. They finally find Mrs. Skinner, her arm bandaged from the big-ass larva attack earlier, and she tells Lorna that giant rats invaded her chicken coop and massacred her precious birds. Jack and Lorna explain that Mr. Skinner was supposed to meet them here, but Mrs. Skinner informs them her husband never made it home from the big city last night. I'm guessing here the poor bastard in the Volkswagen Beetle was Mr. Skinner. Yes. That's never spelled out, but I think we, we get that. Reluctantly, Mrs. Skinner shows them her sacred chicken feed. After Lorna assures her, we won't try to take advantage of you. Just show us what you got. But the elderly woman doesn't even care about money anymore. She just wants her husband to be back home with her again. Tough luck, you old bag of bones. He ain't coming home. Am I right? Sad. She's all about the money. Mr. Skinner's bringing home the big money deal. We've been doing this, doing this. Yeah, but the money doesn't matter when your loved ones are there late. to share it with. Six hours late getting home, and she's like, I don't care about money. I just want my... Dude, that's my wife. If I am if I can't be there to enjoy our success, she doesn't want she doesn't want him to do well, first it. of all, let's let's be a little bit honest. Uh, our wives don't exactly get concerned at the six hour mark. <laughs> She's like, I gotta, I gotta wait. It, it might just be laid out in the bushes, drunk. I gotta. Wait I was about to say, at six hours. hours six hours. She's gonna check the sides of the house. It's I mean, the, she might. You it's, know. it's the thirty-six hour mark where things might get a little <laughs> bit like, eh, this is kind of something. Even for them, this is... He's probably in a ditch somewhere, bashing in the head of something he just ran over. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Skinner leads them to a bubbling spring near the farm where a white substance is oozing from the ground. She explains that at first they thought it was oil, because you know all the oil we've seen from the ground that's white and looks like this? Looks like porridge? Like runny oatmeal. Uh, but when they decided it wasn't, in fact, oil, they just mixed it with some feed and fed it to the chickens. No, that's my favorite thing is that, you know, usually you, you're you pretty smart with animals, especially if you raise animals. You know that if the animal doesn't go to water, there's probably something wrong with the water. And she clearly says, oh, do, were the chickens eating this? Oh, no, they wouldn't touch it. They wouldn't touch it at all. We had to mix it with the grain and the feed. That's like That's like me, like, Hey, Cade, your wiener dogs are 10 feet long. What's going on here? Well, I found this bubbling shit coming out of the ground, and I thought it was oil, even though it was white and looked nothing like oil. So I mixed it with some puppy chow, and I started feeding it to my dachshunds for some god unknown reason. And guess what? They grew giant. <laughs> what? It makes no sense. My they god, like- the size of these wiener dogs is enormous. Look at them. They look as long as a rose bowl parade float. My God, they're enormous. The very size of these wiener dogs suggests some sort of improbability. Doctor, would you say they resemble the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile? 
I would think almost certainly they do, especially if the steering wheel of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile is made of a giant onion ring. My God, there's science has gone wild. Who the hell does that? Nobody. Shit bubbling out of the ground. Oh, wait. It's oil. It's white. It's got to be oil. And I love the fact that they made it actually literally bubble. Uh, to where it's like bleep, 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 yeah. bleep, like the tar pits, and they're like, you know what? We should feed it to our prize chickens. Well, you know what? It's clearly not oil because I I looked it up on my encyclopedia because I didn't have internet back then. I looked it up in the dictionary. Oil's black. This isn't oil. So let's just mix it with our feed and feed it to our fucking animals. It's got to get kind of boring out there on that island. I mean, you're probably gonna try some things. <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously Mrs. Skinner wasn't much for experimentation in the bedroom. I was about to say, usually try some things, you you know, maybe a different position every now and then. But Rome wasn't built in a day, Mr. Cade. As a fan of scientific experimentation, you have to start somewhere, even if it's unethical. Maybe they could, as opposed to going into town to get a deal for it, they could have taken some with them for testing. Well, Yax, let he who is without sin cast the first baseball bat. But no, 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 because they're very religious people, so they would be like, this is a gift from the Lord, so obviously if it comes from the Lord, it's not going to be bad. It's coming from a mound, which is like a giant pimple, so it's it must be the the pus of the earth. And God raised up the ten-foot chicken feed. Well, it made the baby chickens grow enormous. But it didn't affect the adult chickens. What happened to them? And when the baby chickens got huge, they ate all the adult chickens. Doctor, that sounds like a potential problem, right? Oh, my God. Almost certainly so. If the children have grown to a magnanimous size and have begun to eat the parents, the nature has turned topsy-turvy. My God. I love how this is the one time in which everybody who sees something different would normally take a bat and bash it in. But no, these people see something out of the ordinary. They accept it as normal, much like Morgan, who wanted to help his friend seek aid. He finds and fights a 10-foot chicken. Even in a... And he just brushes off the feathers. Yes. That was difficult, man. Yeah. Wow. Even I wasn't in expecting a, that. Even in a 1976 creature feature, this shit blows my mind because it's like... All right, I got this weird shit coming out of the ground. It's not, I, we got excited. We thought it was oil, but then we saw it was oatmeal. And then we we're like, what do we do with it? Well, let's feed it to our critters. So let's put myself in their position like I, I did earlier. So I'm like, all right, you know, I'm just going to scoop this shit up and put it in my puppy chow and feed it to my dogs. And all of a sudden, my weird dogs get 10 feet long and they're like, I've got like two Oscar Mayer Wienermobiles walking around my backyard. Okay. Well, the Lord gave us this. We should probably, this is good. This is a good. Monetize it. It all comes full circle. See, this is where Cade's irresponsible behavior of bashing everything inside with a baseball bat is actually justified. Oh no, dude. If I, if I fed my wiener dog, this gruel and it grew to 10 feet tall i'd have to go in the backyard and be like take the kids inside i have to do this but then i would try to bash it with a baseball bat and it would look at me and be like Mm-mm. and i get fucking mauled by a 10 foot 
And as you're doing it, Tut and I come driving that bus of school school kids by him. Yo, you know what? We're going to redeem ourselves for the last five years of podcasting. We're going to take some church kids to camp. So we're driving by. Redeem ourselves from all the sins we we said and committed on the Tuesday night. Oh, you What's going on? Redemption. What's going on over there in that field? No. Well, Jack isn't buying any of this bullshit, the businessman. But Lorna, as a female bacteriologist, they're very rare in 1976, is fascinating. Fascinating enough for Jack to make an offer on the stuff right there on the spot. But just as the trio gets back to the farmhouse to make a deal, a swarm of big-ass wasps show up, and they all race into the house for safety. Morgan and Brian arrive back on the island. They left the playoff practice to do this. And when they encounter the pregnant woman and her male companion at the broken down RV, they stop. Unlike asshole Jack, they actually stop and they're like, what's going on? Like, our RV's broke. (laughs) Ted's doing his Morgan face. Uh, Can you give us a lift? They're like, yeah, but we got to go down to the farm first. And the genius Morgan face. The genius boyfriend. He's like, no, you guys go do what you got to do. Just get us on the way out. She's like, we saw enormous rats here last night. They're going to come back. We'll be fine. Y'all go. I actually, this is one of the scenes where that face from Morgan works perfectly because he does a double take to the boyfriend like. (laughs) And then drives off. So you, you saw giant rats here. They almost killed you, but you want to stay here. Yeah. The boyfriend's like, hey, we'll go in the RV. We'll be fine. No. That's right. Shit, loser. I'm out of here. Well, back at the farmhouse, Jack is outside swinging a shovel at the wasps. This is, a, this is a style of filmmaking called projection, where the actor is swinging a shovel at nothing, and they project these wasps that look horrible projected uh, at him. These and giant- Ralph Meeker sitting there going, God damn it, I was in a movie with Jimmy Stewart, now I'm doing this <laughs> shit. Did y'all, have, did y'all have the choice of SD versus HDX? Yeah, I did the HDX. I did too. I was wondering if anybody did the SD and whether this scene looked, you know, somewhat. It looked terrible. I mean, it, it was 1970s, good. made for film, but yeah. I mean, it 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 looked good, but I don't think the higher thing was going to change anything. Yeah. I mean, it looked uh, it later on. I think kind of smoothed some some things out, but not here. Just as the flying monsters are getting the best of Jack, Morgan and Brian show up and blast the critters to bits with it. Jack thanks them for saving his life. Not only that, they are cracker jack shots with those oh. shotguns. One shot, one kill on a flying buzzing arm. I mean, of course they are four feet tall, but uh, well, they 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 shoot the hell out of them out of the sky. Jack thanks them for saving his life by telling Morgan and Brian to get lost. I own the rights to the bubbling ooze, and I'm not interested in any business partners. But Morgan says, that's fine by me. If you own the ooze, then I know whose name to give to the district attorney for being responsible for my buddy's death, Davis. You own this shit. That's what caused the giant wasp. You're responsible. And Lorna gets heated up. 
Lorna has never seen anybody stand up to her curmudgeon boss like this, and it's turning her on big time. As Morgan and Davis load their shotguns to take the wasp nest down at sunset, she approaches Morgan and immediately judges them. He's a job. You don't like having women around when you do your thing, do you? She says. What's my thing? Morgan says. Facing danger. I don't mind at all. Come along. She's like, this could be really dangerous. I don't care. Come on. That's oh, not, just, that's just not him progressive. That's him. He's, he's retarded. He's stupid. I mean, he's a really. But just I like the fact that she goes up to him and goes, "You don't like having you know women around you, do you?" And I'm like, "What no. basis did he's been there like five minutes? What basis do you have coming to this conclusion?" You're right. I used a lot of insensitivity when I blew those giant wafts away. She's supposed to be the feminist. Uh, this is '76. She's supposed to be this this very big city feminist. That's that's her initial response to every man, and he's like, "No, come on, let's do it." This would eventually gravitate to those chicks in the sci-fi movies. He's a very progressive bad farts movie. <laughs> Back at the RV, the woman tells her husband that their unborn son just kicked for the first time. No he says, hey, baby, I'm the lead singer of the Greg Kin band. Don't worry about it. No, no, dude, no shit that baby's kicking. It actually realizes there's danger out here. His dumbass parents don't know what the hell's going on, but that baby's like, get me the fuck out of here. I just saw a six-foot rat. You know what? We'll be fine, though. You know what? I'm kind of scared shitless about these giant fucking rats that my daddy-to-be thinks are no big deal. That fetus is the smartest character in this film (laughs) now and throughout the ending. And yes, Tut, I don't care what you say, a full-term fetus is a human being. Don't get me started. Much like the girl, why did you judge me? I didn't even say anything. I know you and your liberal Antifa uh, agendas. Don't bring it into the show, man. Get the hell out of here. Tut, Yaks, you see Tut? Triggered. Just, I'm waiting for the transition. The pregnant couple bicker about giving the baby his name because they're not married. Apparently, they're not married because they don't get along at all <laughs> and are having some big-time relationship issues. But wait for it. I say it every episode, guys. Here it comes. It doesn't fucking matter. None of this shit with them actually matters. You know what does matter? Our cigar. Tut, you are burning almost to your fingertips. Um, Yak Boy, you're right there too, and I am I'm as well in the last third. Uh, man, once you guys said cinnamon, I got it. Yeah. There is cinnamon and earth combined with that Coffee and chocolate. The chocolate actually died down the last third. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the cinnamon and the earthiness more than anything. I'm getting the, just the, the heavy Nicaraguan mineral on the retrohale. Uh, construction has been phenomenal. Still got a really straight. And that's just from twisting that cap. No, no cut with the cutter. Um, Tug, give me your thoughts. No doctoring either. Uh 
yeah, I mean, it just it's been great right throughout the beginning. It hasn't really transitioned that much. There's not a lot of ebb and flow to this scar. It's just really great all the way down. I say that, but I mean, it went from just strictly coffee and chocolate to that cinnamon gram in the final third. Um, the mineral really overtook that spice early on in the cigar and the retro hell for me. Um, smoke production. I mean, the thing is, smokes like a chimney. Yeah. It's beautiful. You guys want that price point? Yeah, sure. Yes, please. All right. NHL hockey exclusive to JD event only exclusive to finally this year, the year of the rat on the Chinese calendar being available to select Drew Diplomat retailers. People can finally get their hands on these things. The gold presentation, 10 count box. It's beautiful presentation. I'm going to go Cody first. And that's a tough one. Given, given everything else, given its, it's actually flavor profile, given its presentation, given for a small cigar its history, it's smoked for quite a long time. Yes, I'm. Uh, you know, this is one of those where I'm just. All right, I'm. I'm just going to go twelve. It okay. seems. It seems logical. Had this been pre-merger, I would have gone seventeen fifty. Pre-Swisher merger? Yes. Okay. Uh, but now that they've introduced a little bit more production into some of these lines, I will go. Shouldn't affect it that much. I will go fifteen fifty. Fifteen fifty. I think that is your five years of doing this and two years of going to barn smokers and actually listening to people and what tobacco costs. Because even when you have a a brand like Swisher and their checkbooks, you can only grow so much of this year. Right. And I'm going to give you some props here, Doug, because I think you factored what we've learned on the road with Drew State and Divins, perhaps. Uh, $15.99. Nice. Damn close. And that is an, that is an accurate price on this cigar. Because we've been to Connecticut. We've seen what they're doing with some of this stuff. Uh, uh, you'd like all that oily shit in there. Uh so I mean, yeah, there there is a high production value to this cigar. These these motherfuckers in Connecticut, and I say that with love because he calls his employees motherfuckers, work their asses off to produce as much of this shit, but it's it is limited. They can only do they can only give it to DE when it's right. And we learned that uh at the at the barn smoker. After we've soaked it in the food of the gods, then we give it to them. The cigar of the gods. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was a little below Tut, a, little, uh, a couple dollars above you, Yats. But, yeah, 
I mean, fifteen bucks. I've got I've got no problem with the price point on it because I mean you can taste the quality you can taste every bit of that price in this cigar and it's all justified. Yeah, I mean if you're a cigar lover that likes rich flavors, you're gonna like this cigar. I mean that's just it's as easy as that. I agree, Ted. Um, yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, boy. Doctor, go ahead and even though you haven't smoked and give us a thumbs up. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, as a huge group of huge rats march through the forest, Morgan and Davis find the huge fucking wasp nest. Lorna, who's like, I'm going with you and I'm going to be part of the team, she's returned back to the house to do the motherly tending to uh, Mrs. Skinner's wounds. I just want to be one of the boys. I'm going to go do the nurse stuff. I'm a feminist, damn it. Oh, I'm going to do the stereotypical women role. By the way, uh, the actress Pamela Franklin is actually British. Okay. Well, she's good because I didn't pick, pick up on Yeah. Her. Anybody here know what a group of rats is called? A den. A, a horde. Nope. A ball. A parliament. A mischief. A mischief. A mischief of rats. That sounds made up. So if Drew Estate ever releases a mischief cigar in the Unico Rat series, I think we all deserve an unlimited amount of free boxes. I got some mischief. I'm, I'm sorry. A parliament is owls. No. Uh, mischief cigar, copyright 2020, Tuesday well, our heroes stuff a shitload of gunpowder up in the nest and then douse a giant rag with gasoline as their fuse and light on fire. Jimmy Man style. Can we, can we appreciate the, the production design here? I mean, it's fake as shit, but this is a nice giant wasp's nest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Uh, Jack, the businessman, is like, anybody could do that with plaster of Paris and some it is. That's what they did with this nest. It was just fixing a plaster of Paris. And that fucking nest explodes big time when they lit on fire. Everything is so big in this movie. Even the homemade explosion, everything is just enormous. But I was waiting to like see like giant wasp carcasses everywhere as they go around playing cleanup. Like that would have cost today. That would have cost. You stung my buddy. Now you're gonna die. That 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 would that would have cost some money. So they didn't do that. But the threat is far from over as Mrs. Skinner approaches the guys and tells them that a giant rat has kidnapped Lorna and hauled her away to a nearby series of caves. As Morgan attempts with his bad fart face to rescue Lorna from the cave, Mrs. Skinner says all this is happening just as her husband said it would. We're being punished because we sinned against nature. And Jack, the businessman, chimes in. Is there anything you didn't feed that slop to? The only sin here is your goddamn stupidity. He's kind of right. But, you know, her husband on one hand is saying, we've sinned against nature. We're going to go against God's will. I'm going to go sell this. But I'm an American. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't have been worshiping this golden calf the entire time. Give me the money. 
Those playoff tickets of that game Morgan is playing against the Chicago Bears, they, they don't, you're going to have to pay some money for those. Oh, I thought you were going to say he did this to lure the players there to sabotage the big playoff game. He had money, he had money <laughs> oh, on the Jets. That's a, different, that's a different angle. Old man Skinner had money on the New York Jets. He had to get Morgan out of here. If only, we had, if only we had seen him driving hastily back with the steering wheel in his hand, a couple of playoff tickets. It's me in the big game. Oh, and then and then as he's screaming, to, uh, being mauled to death, uh, you, the camera slowly pans to those playoff tickets being washed in blood <laughs> and <laughs> popping out of the trunk of the Volkswagen and running away into the woods is Pete Rose. Damn it! <laughs> I I done this. Hey. Speaking of stupid, Morgan lowers himself down in the cave to retrieve Lorna, but the rope contraction that he sets up fails at the the tree branch he wraps. As opposed to lowering the rope down and saying, "Tie it around you, and we and we two huge dudes will pull you up." You know what? I'm going to lower myself into danger first, and. They wrap the rope around this tiny tree branch, which, which shatters. So now both he and the female bacteriologist are trapped down there with the mischief of big-ass rats. Morgan and Lorna make their way slowly through the surprisingly well-lit underground cavern. Dude, it's bright. It's middle of the night. and No torches, can, no nothing. Nothing. They can see everything down there. When he's not blasting rats with a shotgun, he's beating them over the head with the shotgun. Eventually, little uh, public relations guy Brian shows up to lead them out of the cavernous maze. Back at the RV, you know where the pregnant couple spotted the giant rats the night before. Guess what? The giant fucking rats have come back, and they're crawling all over the RV. The dude talks his knocked-up girlfriend into coming out of the RV. Come out here, baby. It'll be safe out here. If I'm in an RV and I'm pregnant and I look outside and there's giant rats, guess where I'm not going? Mm-mm. Open woods. Nope. Come out here. It'll be fine. There's actually a really cool shot here as she walks out of the RV of the big-ass troop of rats crossing a log over the water to get to the RV, and the actors are in the same shot. It's one of the few shots where they actually do like these giant rats are walking over the log over the over the stream and the RVs right here and the actors are in the that is really well done. Yes. Like there's a couple shots where they really sell cuz if you're going to do this shit you can't just have miniature stuff and and regular rats. You have to show a couple scenes with real people and and the and the rats. This is the first scene where I was like man that shit looked really good. And and I, I actually I was like yeah I can I can tell what they've done here it it kind of popped out at me but you have to think about this 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 was done what seventy six you know almost forty five years ago so I mean it was made for those big screens it was celluloid so it actually looked really cool back then because I remember I remember watching this as a kid and I, it it looked really good I remember how it looked back then. Uh, Doctor, when was when was uh, Jaws? Seventy-five. So this definitely falls into the creature feature copycat 
form of cinema that we've talked about with Grizzly and everything that came after it? Uh, I thought that scene was necessary at this point to show the rats on screen with actors. I agree. You have to. Otherwise, you're just not going to sell it at all. Every time you show the rats are just a bunch of normal rats crawling over toys. Yeah. This actually, that that scene with them in the same shot sold this thing. I mean, it made a big difference. Well, I didn't see this coming. The couple escapes the wrath of the rats somehow, including a never-before-seen albino rat with red eyes. And they make their way to the Skinner farm just as Jack is loading up his Cadillac with bottle after bottle of the mysterious ooze. Jack wants to load everybody up in his Cadillac and plow right through the vermin straight out of there. But Morgan, keep in mind, God knows how many concussions this guy's had in the NFL at this point. They didn't know about concussions back then. He convinces a reluctant Brian, the PR guy, that they're better off going ahead to check it out in the completely exposed open-air Jeep first. And there's a moment there where Brian is like, well, he's got a tank of a Cadillac. You want us to go ahead in this open-air Jeep? How does this make sense? And Morgan's like, I don't know, man. Let's just do it. Well, for me, I'm actually like, yeah, that does make sense because that Jeep can actually get through the puddle of water that stalled out the little Volkswagen Beetle where all the rats attacked. It was just crazy to me that Brian brought up, Brian a few times in this movie brings up some objections to Morgan's dim-witted plans. That's a quarterback, man. That's a quarterback. He's not the quarterback, though. It's a wide receiver, but you know. Oh yeah, you don't trust those dudes. Don't never That's trust a wide receiver. They're prima donnas, and but he might be thinking somewhere out there in the woods, Matt Cade, Bryce Harper, and Albert Call Me Joey Bell are running around with baseball bats. Go save the day. Listen, he can't. He asked. He flat out asked Morgan, "Why is this a good plan?" And Morgan can't tell him why. Concussions. But Brian goes along anyways. I always thought he was the quarterback. That's why I, I, I bought yeah. into it. If it's the fucking wide receiver, that's going to be like that, – that's like following Tweeter from uh, Varsity Blues. You just, for Christ's sake. I thought the same thing as you. The first time I watched this movie, I was like, he's a star quarterback. That made, No, he's a wide receiver. Des Bryant has good ideas. Let's do what he says. And he's like, you know, what do you have to lose? Other than your fucking one life you have to live. I I kind of like it. It's not a bad life. There's I the guess, big game. I kind of want to make it to the big game. I guess it's best not to question your star quarterback, right? Oh, wait. He's not the star quarterback. He's a wide receiver or maybe at worst a tight end. You're following a tight end into the shit? Ah, oh, for Christ's sake. I'm not following no goddamn tight end in any battle whatsoever. Hey, Troy Aikman says, we're getting this Jeep, we're doing this. I'm like, okay, fine, it's Troy Aikman. Jay Novacek is like, hey, come with me. Fuck you. No, I might follow Jay. Jay's a ranch man. He knows what's up. Now, it would be like following Gronk. I'm not following Gronk. Well, Gronk's got beer, so I might follow Gronk. To go with the football analogy, 
this guy started off as Jim McMahon. Now he's reduced down to Jay Novacek. Hey, do not disparage Jay Novacek. Jay Novacek was a great, great tight end. Yeah, who the hell is following him to fight some giant fucking bunnies? Nobody. Come on, Jay. It's just you and me in this open air Jeep. Let's go. I'm not following any tight end. Well, they find the toy RV covered with approximately one million rats. So guess what? They turn the Jeep around and head back to the farm. The NCC style. You know what? This was a bad idea. Let's go back. Speaking of the farm, Jack has used his, this extra time to grab every empty mason jar in the pantry and old milk bucket, and he's filling them all with the bubbly news. I have to have it. I have to have it all. I can't get enough of this stuff. Lorna tells him that the pregnant chick is sick and needs help, but he doesn't give a shit as his eyes are filled with only dollar signs. Do you know what this food is worth? You can wipe your ass with $100 bills and flush it without even counting it. Oh, and we could feed the starving children too. Think of the kids. He's still trying to win Lorna over there, the kids. Lorna's disgusted by him. His love for money is so strong, it's usurping his fear of the incoming rats. If I had a plethora of $100 bills, you know what I would happily spend them on, boys? What's that? I just uh, I would spend them on the highly unique, artisanal, Pappy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented Cigar from Beer Estate. This unique stogie is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Yeah, actually been there. I have. It's beautiful. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else in the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small croquettes or bundles of tobaccos to you noobs. Uh, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added, while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. Not car jacks. Not truck jacks. Not Volkswagen Beagle Beetle jacks. Not Wolfman jacks. Railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out violently, then repacked. The total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at every brick-and-mortar dip, Drew Diplomat retailer everywhere. And if you want to smoke the very unique trademark pig-sized cigar, head over to pappyco.com as they are the only place you will find it. It is my personal favorite expression of the blend. I encourage you, if you're at all interested in American tobacco and what it can become, what it, interesting things you can do with it, try the Pappy Pig. Because that is, that's it. If I had fistfuls of $100 bills, I would definitely go to pappyco.com. I would get some nice Pappy Van Winkle, and then I would definitely get the, the uh, Pig Vitola of the Pappy Van Winkle cigar. And... Not buy the Pappy Van Winkle bourbon on the website. Well, then um, I would just go and get the cigars in. Yeah. Can can I'm sorry, Kate. I missed what you said. Can you order the Pappy whiskey from that website? No. no. 
you know, the cigars and the ball caps and the t-shirts and all the, the really cool Pappy swag. But as far as Pappy Co, as far as Pappy and Winkle bourbon, you're on your own. But if I also had fistfuls of $100 bills, I would have probably also go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. I would head over to the famous smoke shop banner that we have there. I would spend that fistful of $100 bills. Even if I had just $100 bill, I would buy something on TNCC or TuesdayNightCigarClub.com, FamousSmokeShop.com banner. And then I would enter the promo code. Actually, you don't even have to. We've already got it to where it enters the promo code TNCC20 for you, and you get $20 off. Twenty is off a hundred. That's like twenty percent. And you know, Father's Day is coming up. So if I wanted to get my dad something, and I had fistfuls of hundred dollar bills, I would go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. I would hit the Amazon banner, and I would buy my dad a little something. What would you buy? Gift certificate. Lose. Has anybody ever looked up uh, Pappy Van Winkle to see what they could purchase it for? Uh, come on, bucks. So okay, not, so you're not Is spending it, like a thousand or. Well, you can, but if you're on uh, certain lists and in in tune with your local retailers, you, you, it's not impossible to find for a reasonable amount. Okay. But I, I do, I do. That is the the one incarnation of the fire cure tobacco that I enjoy. Um, you know what? There are sponsors. So I'm going to be honest. In the, uh, we're transparent here. I, I'm not a big Kentucky Fire Cured fan. I, I enjoy the sweet a lot better than the not sweet versions. But I like the Pappy way, way yeah. better. Um. Okay. Well, Morgan has some cockamamie theory that he can lead the rats to water where they'll sink like stones. Brian's like, they're rats. They'll swim. He's like, well, yeah, when, they're, when they weigh a pound, when they weigh 130 pounds, they'll sink. They're not used to that shit. If you could swim at one pound, can't you swim at 130 pounds? You would think, but... But Morgan isn't listening to anything his friend has to say. He's an NFL tight end. He knows what he's doing. It's a tight end. He knows it. He's using the same instincts that took them to the one divisional playoff series win in the last five years to beat these godforsaken rodents, Philip Rivers style. Morgan is the case kingdom of cinematic heroes. Am I right, Doctor? Uh, you might have given Case Keenum too much credit. I I thought Philip Rivers was a really good analogy. Yeah, you you're overrated. You've I don't think this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, if they can electrify the fence running along the border of the Skinner Farm property, they can lead these demonic critters to a watery death. And guess what? By using an old generator, which they got somewhere, we never saw that, and some jumper cables, they in fact do electrify the vents, and it sends the rats scurrying away. We won! We won! Brian yells. 
I found this generator in this discarded beetle. I don't know where it came from, but, you know. It looked like it had been beaten severely with a baseball bat, but it's too Not so Ryan, did you lose some tickets to the big game? There's a couple here. Not I've so lost fast. my job, Todd. I've lost my job. Not so fast, boys. Half the rats do indeed follow the fence line down to the water and go into the ocean and drown. But the other half gets smart, and they knock a tree down, which crushes the generator, freeing them to continue their reign of rat terror on the humans. Serious question. Am I the only one at this point who hates all the humans in this movie and wants the rats to make it to the mainland and just kill all of humanity? No, I like Morgan and I like the little British chair. I think that one of the reasons I enjoy this movie is that uh, you know a good a good a good yarn, whether it's a creature feature, action movie, or whatever, puts you as a viewer in the place of the protagonist. And so as unrealistic as the situation is, I put myself there and it's actually very frightening. And so I, I am, I'm, I, I gotta say, Kate, I'm not there with you. I'm kind of looking at it myself as being there, like Tut said, with Morgan, with Brian, with Lorna, even with Mr. Bensington and thinking, how can I possibly get out of this situation? Like me, if I were there, if this were real, how would I react? What would be the best situation? Hey. Morgan doesn't make some great decisions, but I, I kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm there like thinking, how can I get out of it? Well, Dr. That, we watch so many creature features over the last 30 years. That is the ultimate goal you want is something to put you in their place to where you feel that moment and what would you do? And you compare it against what they're doing. Uh, I, I, where I differ from you guys is I just, I hated Morgan. I hated everybody. And I was like, you know what? They may better off if the rats just killed it. The funny thing is, is that I did not remember this movie until you were like, Hey, we're doing the, uh, food of the gods. You know, you kind of gave me the synopsis. I was like, huh, I think I've seen that. And I'm pretty sure I have. Sure enough, I started watching it, and all the memories flooded back. Like you know, I think I saw this in high school, uh, and I, I just I really liked it back in high school. I thought it was a good movie back then, and all those memories came back. And I think that's why I'm a little bit softer on it. Is that I'm I'm seeing it through the eyes of you know 17, 16 year old. Nostalgia plays a big part, and I think maybe I'm not gonna I'm not gonna. Uh, judge doctor for we differ on this because he had memories of this movie earlier I, I don't think that's fair because i don't have any memories the only memories i have of this movie are when it, they showed clips of it in tear in the aisles one of the great horror documentaries of all time and they showed mrs skinner clubbing the rats and stuff i i i had no memory of this movie going in i i knew that it was the giant rat movie and that's why mm -hmm. we should tonight but i had no memories of this movie so but i'm not going to discount you and and doctors uh memories of this playing into your you know favorable, yeah favorable view of it because that, that that goes a long way it sure sure shit that that counts it, it really does Cade, because i think my personal experience is that um 
back in the early cable days when you went from having 10 or 12 channels to having 30 or 40. Um, I, I feel like I saw this on like a Saturday night or a Sunday afternoon with my dad when I was about 10 or 12 years old on TNT or TBS. Yeah. I think that's my earliest memory of it. And so I think you're right. It's like, it's like drinking a good beer, a bottle of wine. The, the situation has something to do with it. I think that's my first memory of it. Well, it, in the food world, they call it a Prussian moment when you take a bite of something and it takes you back to a moment in your history. It's, it, it, uh, in, in cinema terms, there's no word for that. But in, in the food world, the Prussian moment, you take a bite of that grilled cheese and it takes you back to the grilled cheese of your youth. It takes you back to something and that has weight. So I'm giving you guys that for sure, because I didn't have that because as you know, doctor, which is one of the many reasons that I spent a lot of time at your house. I didn't have, I had four channels through college. Like my, my, my parents never got cable. Uh, is one of the big drawing points to my now wife and my girlfriend. I like to date chicks that had channels. <laughs> because I didn't. So basically what you're saying is that our friendship was not founded on common ground or enjoying each other. It was because I had a VCR. Your VCR played a big part in our friendship, Doctor. <laughs> my girlfriend's boxes played a big part in how much I was interested in them. I can, I, uh, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody's got their thing. Everyone's yeah. got Well, friends, getting back to the movie. Uh, you've lit a second cigar. What are you smoking? I don't know. It's got a skeletal hand with a rose on the band. I literally, I went up to Smoker's Abbey. And I said, all right, I want, uh, you know, this cigar, this cigar, this cigar, and then pick one. Because I always like, I, I trust Ian. He's a, he's a good tobacconist, and he knows my profile. So he will he will go into his humidor and pick something out that I might have looked over or I might not have tried because sometimes you're a creature of habits and we want to, okay. you know, stick with stuff. And so I'm like, all right. You know, just surprise me. And I always hate being like one of those guys. That, and I almost am. And I've I've caught myself the last couple of times. So it's like, hey, have you tried this before? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to. Last couple of times I've been like, hit it. That's, all right. Hold it up to the screen so we can see what the band looks like. You can't tell. That's all blurry. So you don't know what the hell you're smoking. It's black with gold filament. Very nice band, a skeletal hand holding a single rose. And there is no writing on it whatsoever. That is it. Okay. So what I will do is I will save this band, and then I will go back to Ian, and I'll be like, what is this? Do you like it? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a uh, nice medium stick right now. Uh, it's got nice little earth tones to it. It's a very dry uh, cigar in terms of mouthfeel. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of like it. A, describe the band one more time. It is black with gold filament. Uh, and then it's kind of like a, an ellipse, a uh, vertical ellipse. And in the middle of it is a skeletal hand 
holding a single stem red rose. All right, we're going to see how well social media works, but I'm going to ask him right now, what's the cigar you sold to with the skeleton hand holding the rose? And let's see if we get an answer. Okay. I am smoking the factory smoke. Connecticut from Drew Estate. I figured I'd follow the uh, year of the route, another uh, Drew Estate selection. And as far as budget smokes that are friendly to your palate and friendly to your wallet, this is, this is a good one. Uh, Yak Boy, are you, have you lit up something? Are you still on the year of the rat? I'm not. It, it, it ran its course. Delicious as it was, but there's only so much of it. I love technology, boys. Smokers Abbey just said Tud is smoking the La Madrina by Dapper Cigars. Okay. And you like it? Yeah, it's got it's got a nice coming off of that rich that the richness of the year of the rat. This is very low keyed in terms of that, but it counterbalances with a nice breadiness. There's a lot of toast and bread flavors in this, and I'm liking it. It's working. I am, and the retro hill is very, very pleasant. And guess what? I don't know if it's. I'll, I'll, I'll see how. I'll see if it hangs on. But on the retro hill, sweet raisins. Get some sweet raisins. Sweet raisins on the retro hill. All right. Well. Boys, the rats quickly descend on our heroes, and they make lunch meat out of poor old Brian, the PR guy. I actually felt bad at this kill scene. I kind of liked Brian. I don't know what it was about him, but I liked him. Uh, He was honest and was like, why the fuck are we doing this? (laughs) He questioned everything, but he went along with everything. And I I mean, I understand, like, you know, it's 1976, but I'm also like, you have not the firepower for what you need to do here. But I'd like how Tut pointed to himself at that. You know what? I, I, I have a lot of beliefs and feelings, but you tell me what to do. I'm gonna, I, I'll do it. I'm going to question everything. I'm going to complain about everything, and then I'll probably do it. That's Brian. They nod him like a fat white supremacist wife at a Golden Corral buffet. I'm not sure I understand the analogy, but hey, we're going to run with it. All right, yeah. This is the movie to do that with. I imagine that the wives of white supremacists are probably fat and gross and eat at at Golden Corral and eat a lot of shit at their buffet. That's That's where I went there. Oh, okay. I think gnawing, gnawing like a they were not the rats are gnawing at Brian like a fat okay gross white supremacist wife at a golden corral breakfast buffet okay it's just you don't want to look at it it's it's intense it's messy and you don't want to see it but you can't help it you got to look. It makes me wonder who was operating those giant rat heads. Just really get in there. Just just bite him. Just bite him. 
Well, they tear his noggin clean off his shoulders. Do you see that where they rip his head off? Yes. He's just a headless buffoon at that point. And Morgan only has that one look on his face. Uh, bad farts. Bad fart look. I didn't fight a 10-foot-tall chicken for this. Morgan fires a few shots at the rats as they're gnawing his best friend. Before jumping in his Jeep and hauling his ass away from the situation, he solely created upon himself. The only reason Brian got killed was because he followed Morgan. I like how there was like six rats on Brian, and then there was one rat on Morgan, and Morgan couldn't dispatch that rat, but Brian could hang on with like six rats. Yeah. and as he's I was watching, a fighter. As he's watching his buddy get gnawed to death, he fires off a couple shots and gets the hell out of there. I created this mess, but you know what? I'm just going to flee from it. Tut stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm bailing. I'll fire a couple of shots. You know. When he gets back to the Skinner farm, Morgan snaps and starts dumping rich man Morgan. Starts dumping uh, or no, I'm sorry. Morgan, the football player, starts dumping out all of Jack's precious buckets of sloth, much to the degree the asshole's dismay. Jack has filled all this shit with the, the the prized ooze, and Morgan just starts dumping it. If Mark, if Morgan was a true star of the NFL, even in 1976, wouldn't somebody have recognized him? Oh, you're that guy from TV, or you're that. Didn't you get the impression he was maybe playing the Canadian Football League? Well, God, it, was the, it was the AFL. Doctor, we started this off. He was a quarterback. Then we knocked him down to a wide receiver. I'm convinced he's a blocking tight end at best. Well, I never string. If we go with the people that he's with currently, A, the old lady, she doesn't have telephone. Is she supposed to have television? That's true. Secondly, our 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 heroine. She is a scientist, bacteriologist. She gonna watch football? No. But yeah, it seems like a very weird character choice. You could have made these guys anything to make him an NFL player, and it never like results in anything story arc wise. Like why you could have made these well, guys anything? We just said, but we also identify that he's not the star quarterback. No, but it makes no sense. Yeah, make- the, they were make, they positioned him as the all-American guy, uh, you know, just the average Joe. So, I mean, it kind of works. He's just an average guy. He's not an average Joe. He's an NFL player. But, but back in the seventies, they weren't lionized. Look, he's like not today. Flash Gordon. Okay. The football angle made no sense whatsoever. If you weren't going to bring it in to make it like a, a key point, and I thought I was making a case into the Flash Gordon. I mean, that guy just saved the universe. Quarterback New York Jets on the cover of People magazine. This is where I have to say that in this point, while <coughs> everything you're saying is true, Cade, we're kind of getting into reading more into than what we should in a movie called Food of the Gods. Yeah, but that was a translation of a turn-of-the-century novel. Make these guys NFL dudes if it – if it wasn't going to play a part in the story, they, these guys look, 
when Samuel L. Bronkowitz wants an NFL player, Samuel L. Bronkowitz gets an NFL player. Maybe so. That's I, why he is Samuel I, L. I think it's it is Kate. It is a cheap backstory, but I think it's a backstory to try to show that 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 uh, Morgan's a man of action, he's a tough guy, is a football player. This seemed like a really weird character choice, but I'll I'll go with it. Regardless, the rats show up and everyone runs for cover in the house. Wait a minute. Well, except for so the- if they would have if they would have cast Jim Brown in this role, would it have made more sense? Changing nothing yeah. else, but yeah. just Jim Brown. Yes, he's Jim fucking Brown. He's going to take care of these fucking rats. Yeah. Not fart face. So it's just the actor that you have a problem with. He's terrible. He's not an actor. He's he's a fart face. Dick butt kissed. I'd love to see Dick butt kissed in this role. They couldn't afford him. Well... <laughs> Jack, the businessman, as everyone else runs to the house for cover, he tries to scoop up his cash cow goop off the ground and is immediately tackled by a bunch of big-ass hungry rats. Serves him right. He deserved that. His love of money was the cause of his own death. And let's give credit, Yaks, where credit is due. These giant rats look good eating. It's a good special effects Whoever made these giant rats heads, yeah, it looks good. It looks good. So the remaining survivors up in the Skinner farmhouse boarded up from the inside like a Romero zombie movie. They scare the rats away with some shotgun blasts. Even an eerily calm Lorna, she never really gets upset in this thing, starts blasting them. But Morgan knows. This won't last. We have to do something bigger. So he starts cutting open shotgun shells to make some more bombs, like the ones they used on the wasp nest earlier in the film. Now our tight end is an anarchist. Only they had left making homemade bombs. He also realizes after watching them scurry away that the albino rat with the red eyes that seems to be their leader. If only they had giant four-foot wasps that could sting these rats and kill them. Well, they shot all them, and then they blew their hive away. Yeah, the, the wasps are dead, yaks. The wasps are dead. I know. Keep up. It's a shame they could have used them against one another. But the expecting father-to-be isn't buying any of Morgan's bullshit plans. He grabs I'm his... Brian. He grabs his pregnant girlfriend and tells her, they're getting the hell out of here. We're going to take Jack's Cadillac, which has a roof, and we're going to drive straight through these rats. But guess what? She starts having labor pain, labor pains, so they have to stay put. Was I the only one that was like, huh, 1970s siege movie? Of course you've got to have a pregnant girl trapped in there. And cut, just like a Romero zombie flick or a 70s siege film, the survivors are all turning on each other under pressure, locked in the house. TNCC style. <laughs> you give us any kind of complication, we're turning on each other fast as fuck. I'd like to not believe that. I, I don't think we would until the beer runs out. <laughs> that's that's the touches. I won't be There's a case of beer inside this house. 
grab another beer and then I'll figure things out. Yeah, we're fine until the beer runs out. To bring a bat to a gunfight. (laughs) But Ted, I'm bringing a bat to a geometry fight. I got my slide rule out there. (laughs) Hey, speaking of Lorna, the uh, female bacteriologist, as Morgan makes his Molotov cocktails and pipe bombs, she tells him she'd like him to take a quick break and make love to her. Oh, man, I've been there. All right. Well, she actually says that. Could you take a break from making the bonds and make love to me? I understand you guys haven't been there. It's a weird situation. It's a weird context to be in, in an intense pressure cooker situation. He steps up and plants a sloppy kiss on her lips and tells her, you know what? Let's continue this conversation once they get back to the mainland. Wouldn't you have taken five minutes to just bang her? Well, Kate, for some of us, it would have at least been seven or eight minutes. But, uh, yeah, I, I think the TNCC style would have been, uh, rather than save our lives, let's go pop that coochie. I got your pipe bomb right here in my pants. Whoa! <laughs> I think Mamie Morgan would have clarified, look, I don't know what you've heard, but I killed a 10-foot cock. I don't I'm, have one. I'm not a NFL quarterback. I'm a tight end. But I can get into some tight spaces. Ow! Giant rats! I got a giant furry animal in my underpants! Ow! Ow! <sighs> uh, Never gets old. Of course he doesn't say that. He just kisses her and, like, to be continued. So we're going to recast this movie with Dice Clay as Morgan? Oh, man. I've been oh, no, running no, fly pad all week. Now it's Brian. time to get into my fly. Oh! I'll break the dam and then I'll break your hymen, honey. Ow! Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, I guess I'm not the responsible hero type like you guys. Oh, just in case you didn't understand, these Skinners, if you had any doubts that the Skinner family were the most stereotypical old farming couple ever, they have a painting of Grant Wood's American Gothic hanging up in their living room. Do you see that? That's a little bit... A little bit. Set designer? Uh, Mincy, get that bat and hit me over the head with it. That was exactly what the message was. It's called a Norman Rockwell, but I got a Norman Cockwell. Oh! Oh! <laughs> My God. Seriously, set designer, that's your call to, like, these these are American folks. How do we portray that in their house? I'll just put up American Gothic. <sighs> okay, you got... Terry Malick over here, and you got Burt Gordon over here. These are people of the land. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. You know, morons. (laughs) (laughs) You know, idiots. All right. So now Morgan somehow 
I don't know how, talks the father-to-be into leaving his pregnant wife in labor and all the others in the farmhouse to jump in his open-air Jeep with him and a bunch of gas bombs and flee the scene. And as soon as they do, guess what? The mischief of rats moves in and starts invading the house full force. Who saw that coming? The guy says, why again did I leave my pregnant wife and unborn child to die with you, sir? Uh, I'm a second string blocking tight end. And mm-hmm. I this I is why I think he's a quarterback because he's got it. That, he's that, a wide receiver. He's been playing wide receiver the whole time. He's got it. That, that actually didn't, got it. that scene didn't occur, but nobody's following a fucking tight end out to fight rats. You, you do. You do. God, you have never it. follow a tight end anywhere. I mean, for crying out loud, it could be Jane Novacek. It could be Kellen Winslow, not the rapist, but his father. It could be Eric Bjornsson for crying out loud. You never fire a tight end anywhere. Good God, man. If you have it, if you have it. Tight ends don't have it, Mr. Tuttle. Tight the, ends don't have it. The old adage of women and children first means nothing to more our hero. Perhaps Yak Boy, perhaps he's the biggest rat of them all. Like where this is going. If at least he had thrown down some sort of football, it's fourth and nine, we've got to do this. Nope. You think that they would have actually. Work with me, Dan. You think they would have actually added a little bit of that? It's like when there's that, that scene where he's snapping the husband out of it. Look, it's fourth and nine. The team is it's 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 your call. No, he doesn't do that. That would have been really cool. someone in the face. If you're gonna make your reach down deep inside of you and find that thing that's gonna get us out of here. If you're gonna make our heroes NFL players, maybe you should think about bringing that shit into it at some point. CFL. They're CFL players, Kate. Well, I, mean, I play wide receiver for the Edmonton Eskimos. I still say the biggest asshole is Jack, the businessman, but Morgan's not far behind. Morgan's so, a good guy. So a big-ass rat gnaws its way through the kitchen window, and Mrs. Skinner gives it a few good whacks with a cleaver before she's simply overpowered and eaten up alive by the bloodthirsty rodent. She looks like she, give up, she gives up in the same. You know she does cut? Because finally she gets to be back in heaven with her husband. That's all she cares about. That's a sweet scene. Yeah. So it's up to the horny female bacteriologist, Lorna, to deliver the baby all by herself. Doctor, have you ever worked side by side in all your medical ventures with a horny female bacteriologist? Well, Mr. Cade, I'm glad you asked me that question. At one time, I did have the privilege of working with a bacteriologist who was quite horny. And I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but uh, yes, she was uh, immersed in her studies. I was immersed in mine, which included the bacteriology of her underpants. And uh, uh, I just think that in situations like this, it's hard to judge the characters for what they're doing because, my God, man, it's it's just far too early to tell how things are going to turn out. 
That's fair. That's fair. Summer night. Follow-up question, doctor. Have you ever delivered a baby? A human baby or a rat baby? Both. I think it is in my best interest, both personally and professionally, if I decline to answer this question. Doctor. I, I've never I've never delivered a baby of any kind. That's not my forte. Doctor, if you ever delivered a rat baby, could it ever assimilate into society and have any kind of constructive, productive life beyond what we have ever imagined? My God, I certainly hope not. The the ramifications of it are enormous. It, I would be playing God. And although I've done that earlier this morning with my maple syrup and my French toast, that was a entirely different scenario. My God, I can't play God like that. Do you think that Rat Vivi would ever be able to assimilate into society? I'm afraid, Mr. Cade. It's far too early to tell. You said it. That's on record. Morgan and the other dude take a couple of pipe bombs. Here's how you take out that rat baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Doc, doc, doc. He raised his baseball bat to you listening on YouTube. Uh, Morgan and the other dude take a couple of pipe bombs and blow the nearby dam. Mrs. Skinner, God rest her soul, told Morgan there was a, a water dam nearby. And a bunch of fake-ass looking water starts roaming across the countryside. My question is, they had all these miniatures of the house and the woods and everything. Couldn't they just put some real water through that? Like, this water looks so fake. Superimposed. It, it, it's projected on the landscape, it looks terrible. Did anybody else think this was up the creek style when the when it crashes into the house at the end? I did not. No, because that was done well. That was actually done better than this. Uh, Sorry. As the mischief of rats gnaw their way at the miniature replica of the farmhouse, Lorna is rocking this baby delivery. She's 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 delivering a baby, and guess what? It's a boy. Will they be saved just in the nick of time from the roaring fake floodwaters? No, I'm, I'm asking you guys. Will they? I, what if it had been a yeah. rat boy that had been yes, born? I, I was drunk when I watched this scene. I don't remember. Will they? Will they be saved? Nah, yes, I don't think so. Okay. Yes, they will. Um, of course, they were because there was a sequel. Yes, they were saved. The fellas show back up right before the waters crash down the house. Seriously, Morgan made like a thousand bombs and used like three of them. Dude, he made like so many fucking pipe bombs and only used three of them. Never know when you're going to need them. They all race upstairs as the floodwaters wash away and drown the rats, all according to plan. Okay, best special effects shot of the entire film is right now as the survivors gather outside on a small upstairs deck. Yeah, water rises and the rats all drop off the house and drown all around. That shit looked fantastic. With them, with the the humans up on the deck and the rats, 
crawling on the house and falling off. That shit looked great. Yeah, the translation actually worked pretty pretty good. Uh, that weak ass little wooden dam, apparently that they blew. Helped I love that. the fact that they are like, we're gonna blow the dam, and you're thinking like Hoover Dam. No, it was about like six foot dam. Tut, it was your backyard fence. <laughs> no. <laughs> apparently it held back Niagara. They blew no. that and literally 50 million gallons of water flooded this <laughs> Oh, and the leader, Albino Rat, makes a final stand on the rooftop. But Morgan bludgeons him, or her. We didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It. it was a him. He had balls. Did you see the balls? I did. I guess, rat balls. I guess if you're looking for that kind of thing. Cody saw him. He was looking for him. It's called a mischief of balls. Well, Morgan, my balls have mischief. My balls have mischief in five years. Ow! Albino. <laughs> hey, that could be a Connecticut Unico cigar, the albino rat. Uh, it is. Copy uh, cigar called the mischief of my balls. Copyright 2020 Tuesday Cigar Club. All we ask is you give us unlimited boxes and Drew State, you can use the albino ring. Uh, or the my balls! Ow! Do you think they would ever do my balls? Probably not. Um, just give us free cigars and we'll be, we're not going to sue it. Watching this final shot, uh, showdown with the rats as we see them drown underwater. Dude, they show real rats like struggling underwater. Not fake ones. These are real rats like clawing at the trying well, to. Well, it was 1976. Let's just actually drown these guys. But I, you, was, I, was actually, I was actually thinking about that. That's, that's what we were all thinking. That's where I'm going here. And when Morgan shoots the real rat, and the little blood splats shoot on. I just couldn't help but think. I looked. I looked a lot on the internet for like controversy or like special effects with this movie. And like they had, I'm speculating, I don't know. They had to kill a ton of rats on this movie. There's no way they, they can put a thing at the end of this movie like no rats were harmed. Harmed. We really, we really did kill a bunch of animals. We drowned 2,000 rats and we shot like 500 rats. But that's how Samuel L. Bronkowitz makes a movie. Are you Samuel L. Bronkowitz? I, oh, wait. I'm Samuel L. Bronkowitz and that's how we're doing this shit. Dude, I couldn't find anything about. But, dude, there's so many scenes of rats just with. These bullet holes and like they look they look like real rats in pain. There was there was one scene feel, to where one like of the rats Danny, took I just feel like Samuel O. Bronkowitz is Les Grossman. Where's my rat guy? Where's my rat you guy? Get those rats and you fucking drowned them. Just sprinkle them. If you don't drown them, they get this. Oh, I, there was one there was one scene where it was the uh, the camera was head on with one of the rats. And the rat takes a gunshot to the eye or like right above the eye. 
And the only way that I could think that they did that was that they actually had the little goop there and they stood in front of it and flicked it on the rat. And even then, I mean, I'm like, that poor freaking rat. Those, man. Little, those, little, those little puffs of blood on these, because you can tell they're real rats. Yeah. Hickory dickory dog. This rat was sucking my cock. Oh! No! So Morgan and the new crowd papa drag all the rat carcasses into a big pile. And once Lorna has dumped the last remaining jar of the food of the gods, as Mr. and Mrs. Skinner called it, on the dead bodies, are call the the reporters? No. Call your congressman? No. Call the military? No. We're just going to take care of this ourselves. We'll do it. We have our special teams hero, Morgan. Special teams. That works two ways. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> He's a special team standout. Uh, he douses it all with gasoline and sends them all straight to hell. Lorna I also like this fire scene. I don't know why, but just the special effects of the fire scene. So there's a fire that's lit on the back side of the rats, and then there's a fire that's blatantly in front of the camera that they just like put in. It was like a fire line that wasn't even touching that you could tell. It's real in this movie. Even the fire scene, they had to like project onto the thing. Yeah. Don't uh, you touch? Don't you touch these practical rats? I've got them in about three more movies that we're going to do. Well, Lorna hugs Morgan tightly. She just might get to make sweet love to this tight end after all. And he might just get to make sweet love to her tight end. Hey. Oh! Oh! We got tight ends! Oh! Run a fly padded, baby! Here's my fly! Oh! Alright, that was weak. I'm sorry. (laughs) We cut ahead to the winter season. As we watch a few remaining jars of the food the gods float down screen, Morgan tells us in voiceover that they were able to fix the RV, which was like a, a big, like, str- like the axis broke. I don't know how they fixed that, but they did. They, they gave got, it food to the gods. And they got the safety. And once the floodwaters receded, he also says they were able to rejoin their football team. But it just wasn't the same without Brian or Davis. <laughs> Our defense wasn't the same without the 46-year-old linebacker. Every team needs a thumper, man. Well, but, I read a book about the 86 Mets. It kind of makes sense. But his father was right. The land rebelled much worse than he could ever have imagined. He hopes they got all that gooey stuff out of the ground. He hates to think what would happen if even a trace of it got out into the open water, or worse yet, into the public irrigation ditches. As we see it, cut to being swept into the open water and the irrigation ditches. We then cut to some dairy cows drinking from the water where the food of the god bottles have washed up on shore. Then we cut to the cows being milked by automated machines. 
I'm going to regret this being on film. <laughs> yeah. You just do what you need to do. We understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take us home, you degenerate. Yeah. And then we cut to some school-aged children drinking their daily glass of delicious milk in the classroom. Remember what we learned earlier from Miss Skinner. The food of the gods only affects the young. And the young eat the old. Uh, uh. I'm also happy that they actually have one ethnic person in the entire movie, and it's one of the kids drinking milk. So we freeze frame on a cute little white girl, kindergarten girl, drinking her fresh milk, so yummy. Dun, dun, dun. We freeze on her drinking that milk. I love me a good old nihilistic ending. The fucking end. This is like the end of the thing with Kurt Russell and Keith Davis. Well, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. I was just waiting for now at this point. I'm waiting for the camera to pan over slowly, and it's just you standing there. <laughs> Cade bashes in the heads of all the elementary school children. She goes to drink her milk, and I'm just. Argh! Dude. I love bad endings as far as like we're all fucked endings. The, the, the thing it is, fits. In, in my mind, the thing ending is the most nihilistic ending. Like, you know what? We're going to just sit here a little while, but you know damn well that either Keith David or Kurt Russell is infected with this thing and they're going to kill the entire population of the earth. And when. They freeze on that little girl drinking that milk. You know we're done for. Whatever that goop coming out of the ground was, it's going to kill us all. Well, I'm just a sucker for smart sequences, and I thought the, you know, the, the goop in the river, the river to the cow, the cow to the milk, the milk to the kid. I, I just like that that little sequence. Now love- it felt a little bit out of place because this movie was kind of dumb. But I thought that was a very smart little sequence there. I think anything you thought this movie was done was strictly due to the dumb-faced, fart-faced actor that played Morgan. When you're here, when you're when your heroes and uh, an idiot, and you're gonna have that thought. It'd be interesting to actually go and read this. I, I haven't read this book either. Uh, I, I'd I'd kind of like to read the original version of it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna I read say, it now. See, I was about to say that I say that knowing full well that I'll talk about it, but I'll never read it. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read it. I'll come back with a report. Uh, I think you know. First of all, Kay, we got a disagreement. Marjo Gortner, he ain't Jack Nicholson. Okay, I agreed, but I thought he fit the role for this movie, and. That it's Burt Gordon who did Empire of the Ants that you talked about in the introduction. This this is one of those movies made in '76. It I want to read the, the story because I'm sure it's very loosely adapted from H.G. Wells' story from 1904. This is a creature feature coming out in the wake of Jaws. Without H.G. Wells involved in the NFL, H.G. Wells had nothing to do with it. Really, the football didn't have anything to do with it. It was kind of a, a framing device. 
And while you can pick at the framing device legitimately, let's look at what this movie really is. This is a creature feature post Jaws, and it's got a specific audience in mind. And it's a movie that is going to go out there and have fun. It's a horror movie. Yes, there's some very horrific scenes in it, but it's a horror movie. It's a creature feature. Marjo Gortner, he ain't Daniel Day-Lewis by far. This, this is, he fits the mold for this movie, which is what it's supposed to be. This is supposed to be a creature feature movie with scary scenes or scary kills with the effects and, you know, rudimentary as they are now in 2020 uh they worked then and it kind of works it's a fun movie i very much enjoy this movie quick question you said that you had no prior experience to this other than uh your favorite horror documentary what was the context of this movie in that horror documentary there was a music montage in Terror of the Isles where you see Mrs. Skinner bashing that rat with her giant cleaver. And what that, was the montage supposed to do? It was just a crazy montage in the Terror in the Isles of just horror at its most insane and crazy and, okay and that's where i just associated rats with this movie there are a lot of rat movies i could have done tonight there there are actually four movies called rats rats 2 uh we could have done willard with crispin glover we could have oh, done, done, like done ben uh with michael jackson's soundtrack we could have done a lot of things, but because I was such a fan of Terror in the Isles, whenever I think rats, I think of this movie, and I think I'm justified because there's a lot of fucking giant rats. In it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of other crazy fucking rat movies we could have done. And that's what's great about cinema is there's literally four or five bona fide rat movies that we could have done. And we did this one. Um, maybe we had a better time with Willard or Ben or... I don't think so. Yeah, I'm going with no. I mean, I, I want to hear everyone else's opinion, but I'm going with no. I think I picked the right one. I, I, I believe absolutely 100% that you did. This is a fun movie, and there are certain things that we've picked apart, which is what we're going to do, because we want to give the people that are going to watch our show all the nuances of it. But when you – I mean, you this is this literally is one of those movies. Take it for what it is. This is not Schindler's List. It's Food of the Gods. I mean, am I wrong? I mean, does anybody no. have a dissenting opinion on that? No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, no, my my my, own, my only. <laughs> and you also and you also have to look at it through the lens of the time as well. We're looking I'm at sorry, through the lens I'm of sorry, 2020. Dan, sexy, huge dick, tight end had something to say. 
I just look at these movies <laughs> and it was directed well. It was with with exceptions. That that water rushing out of the dam was just stupid. It, it looked ridiculous. It was it was if you've made all these tiny little RVs and, and farmhouses and all this stuff, why couldn't you just make a tiny little scene and show water rushing through it, like as opposed to this fake ass glowing water? I mean, budget, time restraints. Yeah, Cade, you've got to appreciate this. Then, and you know, I mean, even Ralph Meeker is at the end of his career, but someone had to pay him some money. Someone had to pay Ida Lupino some money. Uh, I mean, how much can you do? I mean, in the context of what this movie wants to be and what it's trying to be, uh, it all works for me. I mean, it's, it's it, yeah, we can, we can nitpick a lot of these things, but when you really yeah. look at the context of what it, wa- what it wants to be, it succeeds. Doc, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, uh, I will give this movie for what it was and what it tried to do and how it accomplished it a thumbs up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, boy, thumb tut. Oh, four thumbs up. Yeah. And I will I will give the year of the rat a thumbs up. Absolutely. All right. I don't need to try many more of them, but I'm liking what it was. Uh, my beer, the Fierce uh, Fear Movie Lions, was a home run. It did not compete at all with the star. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with that. And it sounds like none of y'all's, y'all's beers compete with the star. Or no. washed it whatsoever. No, I, look for, I look forward to uh, November when I can try my triple again. Okay, well, it sounds to me like we had a successful show. We had Absolutely. A good, we had a good scar. We had a damn good uh, several beer pairings. A lot of IPAs. The triple seemed to work well. Um, I'm going to give a little leeway here. Because uh, the doctor didn't have the cigar, but uh, yeah, I, I think we nailed it. And I think we all just gave that movie four thumbs up, so we're good. Tut, give us some links. Oh man, show us some love. Hit us at uh, on Twitter at TNCCCast. Definitely follow us on Instagram. You can even see the real Richard Greco like our stuff, man. It's pretty awesome. Uh, you can follow us uh, at TNCC underscore podcast. Join us on Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Hit us up on uh, YouTube, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Hey, if you're going to buy your father something for Father's Day, buy my dad some booze on Amazon. Go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Hit the Amazon banner. Do your shopping from there. Also, if you're going to buy some cigars, go to TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Hit the famous smoke shop banner. Do your shopping from there. If you spend 100 bucks, you're going to get 20 bucks back. That's 20% off. Uh, missed anything. You came in with a fury there. I, I, yeah. 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 I think you're good, brother. Um, 
Thank you for joining the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. I hope we got you through another week of quarantine. Another stay week safe of- out there. Yeah, stay Say it again, Tut. Stay safe out there. That's all we can ask. Um, and if we can help you stay safe by just hanging out and listening to us for three, four hours, uh, we've served our purpose. So, uh, made the wings of liberty, never lose a feather. We love you. We thank you. Keep tuning in. We'll be back here in two weeks. Amen. Bye now, motherfuckers. Peace out. To learn more about the time I read the Chinese calendar a little too literally and decided to celebrate the year of the cock with my rooster hanging out at the Hunan Garden Restaurant in Pasadena, California, well, you'll just have to file a Freedom of Information request to access those sealed files. But here's a tip. Next time you're at the Hunan Garden Buffet, you might want to avoid the green beans. You're welcome, folks. Anywho... To learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit DrewEstate.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brien'sTemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.